This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This happened last night around 2.30 a.m., I definitely don't want to meet or ever see who I heard last night, but I'm also looking for advice on if I should actually be as freaked out as I am. I'll start off by saying I don't live in the nicest area. It's not crime-ridden, but I don't feel comfortable around any of the people, including my building's security guards who spend a lot of time sleeping in my hometown or apartment building. So last night I was getting ready to go to bed. I turned off my TV, AC, etc., and it was completely silent in my living room. I'm sitting on the couch and I hear people talking from what sounds like the back balcony next to us. I live on a higher floor. Nothing unusual there. Sound permeates our windows easily, I guess, but I had never heard anyone speaking so clearly before. I keep playing around on my phone and I just get weirded out by the tone the more talkative man was speaking in. From what I could tell, there were two men, one older and one younger. I hear the word ransom and my ear perks up. Here's some of what I caught after I began heavily eavesdropping. She won't be looking for me. She knows you. This ransom was supposed to happen tonight. It still can. This point was reiterated a few times. 5am, this place is like the walking dead. People start checking their doors. There's no security in any of the buildings at that time. And snippets of them talking about a neighbor they had who would walk around after she showered and of an older man telling a younger man something along the lines of, I'd invite her over while you're gone next week, buy her a bottle of wine, get her drunk, but she's yours so I won't do that. This I thought was particularly weird. If he was referring to a woman that younger man was into, why would he mention getting her drunk alone? My initial paranoid thought was that she is younger man's to take, if that makes sense. It all ended bizarrely. When older man who I learned lives on the floor below me, came up to my floor and started banging on my neighbor's door. I called security who came up and I heard the older man mention it was about my neighbor's dog, who I didn't hear bark at all, so I'm not sure why we would have needed to bang on the door at 3am. Now I'm terrified to leave the apartment since I leave so early. It seems like these creepy neighbor guys might be planning something involving a ransom or worse. What do you guys think? Do I have a reason to be worried? This happened when I was 14 years old. I was in my emo phase and since nobody understands me, I went online to find people to talk to and that's where I met my boyfriend. I had been with my boyfriend for about three months when this happened and we were finally going to meet each other. He lived on the other side of the country, so going with a plane would clearly be the quickest, but since we were both young and had no money, he found a cheap bus to go with. It was about Christmas time, and the roads were covered in snow, so of course the bus was late. My boyfriend sent me a text saying that he'd be late. The bus would arrive in a bigger city about 30 minutes away from the one I lived in, 
and I had already taken the bus there to pick him up, so there was no point in going home. I then texted him, Ah, when are you going to be here then? I don't know. The bus driver said he couldn't tell us yet. <laughs> I told you he scammed you. Oh, he says we'll be about 40 minutes late. Sorry, baby. It's okay. What do you want to do when you get here? I want to get something to eat. I should have brought something to the bus. I'm sorry, but I'm actually really hungry right now. Would it be okay if I get something? Of course, baby. What are you getting? Thinking about McD's. Fancy. You know I have no money. I then put my phone in my pocket and walked into McDonald's. There was a lot of people in there and I considered leaving, but I had no money to get something better than junk food, so I bit the sour apple and stood in line. Then someone walked in and stood behind me. It wasn't anything odd since the McDonald's I was in was often busy, but suddenly I felt something on my butt, but it quickly disappeared again. I thought it must have been a mistake and I'm not a sensitive person, so I didn't confront them about it, but then it happened again. This time they poked me more aggressively. Yo, I thought to myself, but didn't say anything. Then it happened again. I turned around to see a guy putting his phone up to me. Note that I'm a very socially awkward person and I had no idea what to say since I had never been in a situation like this. I ended up just smiling an awkward smile and looked at him. He was a 175 centimeter tall skinny guy who looked like a mess. He then smiled at me and took a step back. Must have been an accident, I thought. But then I felt his phone on me again. I then turned around and quietly said, Excuse me? He just smiled like nothing had happened and said, Hi there, in a really happy tone. I didn't even find his smile creepy, and I think that's actually what made this so scary. He sounded and looked like a totally normal person. He kept that tone, even though what he did was super creepy. Where are you from? He then asked. I told him I was just from the city which we were currently in. He just looked at me with that totally normal wide smile and asked again, Where are you from? Like he didn't understand what I said. Note that I'm not from an English speaking country and the conversation had been in Danish the whole time up until what I did next. I decided I'd pretend to be someone just in case he was some weird stalker creep because I was honestly getting freaked out. I then began speaking English to him like I was not from here. Yeah, I'm from California visiting a friend. Oh, I see, he replied still smiling. I'm no good English, I hope understand you. I got relieved as I realized he wasn't good at English and I hoped he would stop the conversation there. I turned around. There was still at least five to six groups in front of me who had to order, so there was still a lot of time before it was my turn to order. Then I feel someone tap on my shoulder again. I turned around to look at him and I gave him a look like, Please leave me alone, you creep. And he finally seemed to get it because his wide, creepy smile began fading away. His eyes looked wild, but he still looked calm. It was a look that's hard to describe. How old are you? He asked. I now said something stupid that I regret saying. I probably should have told him I was only 14 at the time but then he probably wouldn't believe my story that I was in Denmark all alone. I'm 17, I then said, old enough to travel by myself, but still not legal. When a creepy smile began appearing on his face again, I knew I messed up. That's so nice, and where's your friend? Where does she live? How old is she? Is she as pretty as you? 
he said and walked up to my side instead of standing behind me. He was way too close, not even 50 centimeters between us. I was completely speechless because I had never experienced something like this. This might not sound all that crazy, but as a 14-year-old, I was freaking out. I'm 26 myself, but that isn't a problem, is it? I just looked straight ahead, trying not to make eye contact. Look at me when I'm talking to you, he said in a cold tone. I looked at him with my emo bangs covering my face. He then began touching my face and hair with his filthy hands. Get that hair away from your face and look at me, baby. I looked at him and he smiled again. That smile was making me absolutely sick and I wanted to puke everywhere. There we go. You know, I really love emo chicks. He said and pulled my hair away from my neck and began kissing and licking my neck. I was furious, but I was completely frozen in shock. He could see that I was getting scared. Everyone could. Everyone saw what he was doing to me and they heard what he was saying to me, yet nobody did anything. I hate humans. They're so disgusting and they only think about themselves when it comes to it. He came even closer and began wrapping his arms around me and said, Come with me. We'll go get your friend. He said and took my hand. I slapped his hand away and yelled at him. I'm not a hooker. I then ran to a place where I could be alone and called my mom crying. And when my boyfriend met up with me, he comforted me. Again, it's not some big story about how he went on and did terrible things there or anything further. I just found this extremely disturbing as a 14-year-old. I don't want to end my story by saying what he did to me traumatized me so much that I never dared to go to McDonald's ever again because I actually plan on going there with someone later. I also don't want to end the story saying I will never forget the creepy smile on his face either because that wouldn't be true. I have a diagnosis that makes it very difficult for me to remember faces, so I'll never know if I see him again. But no matter if I remember you or not, don't ever come up to me again. So I was around 19 and naive. My friends and I were walking home from a night out and we decided we just didn't want to wait until we made it back to my buddy's house to smoke a J. I was the only girl and for some reason I had decided to go all out on my outfit this night. Beaded skirt, sequined shirt and heels. I walked about 30 feet ahead of my friends and asked literally every person if they had any smoke that they could spot us. It only took four people. Thanks outfit. A couple of guys in their late 20s said they had me covered. My friends walked up and somehow we decided to smoke at my friend's house, kind of defeating the point of asking these fine young lads, but I digress. We all went back to my buddy's place and smoked a J or two. The one guy seemed interested in me and I was single and DTF, so we exchanged Facebook info. A lot of people meet outside bars, right? The first thing that seemed weird to me was despite the fact that he had introduced himself as Johnny... His Facebook name was Reggie. When I asked, he said he was largely estranged from his family and had chosen a first and last name that spoke more to him. His chosen last name was that of a composer I greatly admired and it endeared him to me. He went by different names to different people, a fact I didn't think too hard about. So we started hanging out. The second weird thing was, despite his estrangement, he lived with his uncle in a really nice condo. Johnny was 28 if I recall correctly and... I remember being very put off by how callously he treated his uncle, who put him up in this beautiful apartment without charging rent. 
Johnny was unemployed and without a degree, though he said he spent some time in law school and thought very highly of himself. But he introduced me to some cool music and we had a good time, so whatever, right? One time while I was over, he got into a bad fight with his uncle. We weren't dating, but I thought we were friends, so I asked if he wanted to talk about it. He adamantly said no, but then was silent and moody the rest of the time I was over. Eventually, I had to catch the last bus and announce my intention to leave. He said he'd walk me to the bus. As I'm getting my stuff together, he says, I can't believe you didn't ask me about it, wench. I was thrown for a total loop by his change in demeanor. I'd never been called a wench before, at least with an earshot. I replied that I did ask, and that he had declined to say. He kind of huffed and was silent for the five-minute walk. The bus came very quickly, and as I go on, he clearly says, Whatever, wench. So, I don't need that. I text him from the bus that whatever we're doing is over, and that he has no right to speak to me that way, especially when I literally did nothing wrong. But I loaned him a piece of sheet music that was really important to me and would have been extremely expensive to replace, so I asked that he return that to me once he can be civil again. He texted me back the next day apologizing and saying that he had taken out his frustrations on me and that that wasn't fair, and that I was within my own rights not to want to see him again. He was moving that week, he said. This had not been mentioned before, though we saw each other a couple of times a week, and once he was settled, he'd be happy to return it. A week later, he texted me again, saying he's moved and any time is a good time to pick up the thing. We made a plan. His new place was pretty close to my high school. I went to the new place and it's empty. It was a two-story plus basement in a not cheap part of town and he was still unemployed. He kept asking me what I thought and watched my face 100% of the time. The vibes were really weird, I just kept saying that it was nice and other non-committal things. We never went up to the second floor. Eventually he said the music was in his bedroom, in the basement. Weird, but okay. He insisted I go down first because he's giving me the tour. Weird, weird vibes. I went down to an unfinished basement. He directed me to do a 180 degree turn at the bottom of the stairs. I did not enter this room. It had a little step up to a linoleum floor. Inside the room was the only piece of furniture I saw in the whole house. A bed frame with no mattress on it. His bedroom? I don't know. The only other thing visible in the room was my sheet music just inside the open closet. He was still watching my face intently. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was to the effect of, Can you grab that for me? He thought for a second and then went into the room, grabbed the music, and came back and handed it to me. I immediately turned on heel and basically ran up the stairs. Once upstairs, I was literally about to say bye in some polite way when he said, Come on, chat for a minute, and sat down on the floor of the hallway. I was bad at saying no at this point in my life, so I too slid down the wall to the only available sitting surface. He looked me straight in the eye. The look in his eye was half cold and removed and half gleeful. He asked me in a tone of concealed excitement, Have you lived a good life? past tense. Uh, so far, I think I'm a good person. There's still time for improvement, though. I tried to pretend I wasn't perturbed. I honestly don't know how well I succeeded. I was internally freaking out at the implication that my life was over and that I was in this creepy place alone with a man who was enjoying causing me distress. 
I took out my cell and texted my only friend with a car, who also knew Johnny had been weird to me recently. I texted help, pick me up at my high school, if I don't show up, Johnny's hurt me. I kept chatting while doing this, changing the topic to the weather as something equally banal. As soon as I saw the first reply from her, I didn't even read it. I just started to put on my shoes and told Johnny I'm leaving. Wow, leaving already? That's a little rude. A flicker of anger broke through his weird, giddy-cold affection. Yeah, Kay's waiting for me. She's already at my high school. So you texted her to pick you up while we were hanging out? We already had plans. She knows I was meeting you, though. Well, you're rude. Get out. Okay, then. Classy. Bye. I said and walked out, maintaining my semblance of control. I left and didn't look back, music in hand. Once I was a few houses up the street, though, I bolted. The 15 minutes it took for her to get there were some of the most excruciating in my life. What if he followed me? What if he found me there waiting? He was very tall and obviously stronger than me and could have easily overpowered me if he decided to. I felt stupid and ashamed and scared. Kay wasn't thrilled to be treated like a taxi, especially when the bus was running, but when I told her what happened, she was just as alarmed as I was and understood why I wanted a friend there ASAP. I removed him from Facebook and that was that. I heard he moved to another part of the country and is working at Mickey D's. During my freshman year of college in New Hampshire, a girl in my dorm hall accidentally caused a small dorm room fire by leaving popcorn in too long at 3am. We all had to evacuate and the fire trucks came and the RAs made a pretty big stink about it. The girl who lit the fire was the subject of many yik-yak jokes and I felt bad for her because she really wasn't attractive and she looked pathetically lonely and plus causing microwave fires seemed like a pretty innocent mistake for such harsh comments. A couple days after the incident, I saw her in the residence hall and made casual small talk by asking her how things were popping, and kind of just checking up on her because I felt bad. She laughed and that was kind of it, a conversation of about two minutes. Fast forward a week later and I hear a knock at my dorm door and the same girl, who I'm now going to refer to as Popcorn, comes literally running into my room with no hesitation. I didn't even tell her my room number and at the time I just figured she saw me go in there once because she didn't even know my name at this point. It takes me a second to realize that she is in full-blown tears. There is now a stranger on my bed in tears and I'm just like, ugh. So I account to her like the bleeding heart I am and ask what's wrong. She tells me that the black dining hall cook assaulted her and the college wouldn't fire him and she was suffering emotionally because of it. Being a victim of assault myself, I really sympathized with her situation and gave her my phone number in case she needed help walking to the dining hall with a safety net and whatnot. I don't take assault allegations lightly. The night after our conversation in my room, I got a call from her to walk her down to the dining hall because the cook that assaulted her was working that day. I walked her down to get food and she just lit up like a glow stick and a whole new person emerged. It didn't matter that her assailant was in the room. She was talking my ear off about Pretty Little Liars, One Direction, a lot of things I just didn't really care about, but then again, she had no one to talk to and the situation was complicated. I just listened and nodded my head. 
Over the course of about two weeks, give or take, I had walked her down to the dining hall maybe four or five times. She may have been a victim of assault, but she was also a very annoying and unappealing person. For God's sake, she actually talked about herself in third person. Her story about the assault became inconsistent and there was always new major developments about what had happened and the story was changed to something much more dramatic and severe. It went from assault to a full-out gang situation as her story developed. She then made a comment one day along the lines of how she wished that someone would drop a bomb on African-American people so that they would finally learn to stop doing terrible things. It made me immediately uncomfortable and unsettled. I didn't want to walk her down or interact with her anymore. The week of Thanksgiving reprieve, I went back home to visit my family while Popcorn stayed on campus. During that week, I had 60 missed phone calls from Popcorn. One day, I even had 20 calls in the span of a couple of hours. No normal person does that. Red flags definitely were raising if they hadn't been already. When I got back to the campus, there was a knock on my door and sure enough, it was Popcorn crying again. She tells me that because I wasn't on campus to protect her, she was assaulted by a Muslim guy while walking to Panera Bread and the Filipino RA groped and slapped her. If red flags were being raised, then this was full on sirens. I'm no apologist by any means when it comes to these situations, but the ratio rate was exceptionally high, especially since these three assaults happened within a month's time frame, all by people of color seemingly at random. She was making these stories up to elicit some sick form of sympathy as an actual victim of assault I was beyond offended. I told her I had to leave for class and ran off to my friend to ask for advice. It got crazy really fast. I warned the RA officers about her and they told me they would talk to her. During class, I was up to 100 plus missed phone calls and a series of individual messages that just said, Hi. I was done with this. I wanted nothing to do with her. I blocked her number and went back to my dorm. That week after classes, I just went straight to my dorm. I did not want to see her. One day, I had to go to the bathroom, so I walked to the stall to do my business. I'm just casually in there peeing with my pants around my ankles when Popcorn literally crawls on the bathroom floor and dips her head underneath the stall and says, Ha! I knew you would eventually come out. I am freaked out and in near tears. I tell her that I'm wicked busy and I don't have time for her and that I was upset for her invading my privacy like that. It took a lot of courage to do because I struggled deeply with confrontation. She tells me all about how she is thinking of dying because her mom died when she was young. Some manipulative crap that I was just not in the mood for. I leave her in the bathroom and go to my room and lock the door. I watch some YouTube and took a nap when I was rudely awakened by not knocking but pounding on my door. I didn't answer. The pounding just continued and got louder. Open this door, I'm gonna kill you. Open this door, I'm gonna kill you, she repeated over and over. And she just waited outside my dorm, singing songs in the door cracks for an hour. I was so scared, I just cried and called my dad to pick me up from school. I didn't have many friends that lived on campus since it was a small college and a lot of people commuted, and this whole situation just made me feel so isolated. My mental health was deteriorating rapidly. The RAs had been informed of the threats made at my door by other students observing what happened and she was given a warning but that was all. One night, I had my boyfriend who lived three hours away at the time come and spend the night at the college. 
We had been watching a movie and were napping on my bed when all of a sudden we hear the door open. Like an idiot, I had completely spaced out and forgot to lock the door. Popcorn comes running in and jumped on top of us and says in a baby voice, Popcorn wants cuddles. I was beyond creeped out and was basically screaming at her. My boyfriend, being the no-nonsense confrontational person he is, told her to get absolutely out of my room. She told him that she would, and I quote, would just go die like her mother did when she was three and inject cancer into herself. My boyfriend smiled and said, good, and then pushed her out of the room and slammed the door, not caring at all. I swear he almost slammed her fingers shut. I love him. We reported to her to the campus police in the morning and still nothing major came of it. That was until there was another popcorn fire in her dorm room not too far after and she got kicked out. I wish that's where the story ends with her, but unfortunately no. After she left the dorms, my resident life became a lot easier. I made a lot of new normal friends and I was feeling a lot less anxious. One day a girl in one of my classes invited me to go to the mall with her to go get her nails done. Now this nail salon had clear glass so you could see the rest of the outside mall when you were getting your nails did. I'm all relaxed when all of a sudden I see Popcorn's face pressed up against the wall of this nail salon and she is with a morbidly obese neckbeard. I'm getting my nails done and she is literally staring at me through the window for a good 10 minutes with this man. To say that I was unnerved was an understatement. I told my friend what was going on and we booked it out of there and they tried hard to follow. In retrospect, that is when I should have called the real police. After the mall, I had a bunch of random friend requests from profiles with a small Yorkie dog as the profile picture and several message requests. I opened them and they were from Popcorn asking me to be her bridesmaid at a Pizza Hut wedding that her and her fiancé were having in two years. You can't even make this stuff up. There was another message about how she was so upset that I didn't acknowledge her at the mall and... She had been waiting so long to introduce me to her doting fiancé, and she was so upset with me that she wanted to wring my neck. Of course, I blocked all those profiles and things were pretty silent. I've been living with my boyfriend and going to school in Rhode Island for two years currently. I'm loving school and I have an excellent group of friends. About five months ago, I had got home from work and I had three missed calls from a random New Hampshire phone number. Thinking it was one of my family members, I called back and... Nope, it was popcorn on the other end. I immediately hung up. There was also a voicemail left that was just a person breathing in the phone and telling me that I was expected at the wedding. I cried and called the police urgently about the number. I don't know what happened or if anything did come of it, but I haven't been bothered since. I'm a very kind person and people often take advantage of my openness. It really is a fatal flaw that I'm working really hard on. It's unfortunate that there are so many unhinged and lonely people, but we really shouldn't make it our burden to help them. Sometimes being nice can actually cause a lot of mental strain. The following experience happened to me over the course of 1999 to 2000. I was 13. My dad had taken up a new hobby local auctions. We lived in the sticks of south-central Pennsylvania. The Mason-Dixon line was almost my backyard. The spattering of towns around us were all very small, mostly just huge expanses of farmland, cornfields, and a lot of general run-down old barns. There were two major auctions locally, 
Stoner's auction on Sundays and Worley's auction on Tuesday evenings. I was going through puberty kind of early and was very angsty and emotionally dramatic. The previous year I had my first boyfriend but his parents didn't approve of our relationship and forbade us from seeing each other. Somehow it worked. The only tie I had to him was that my dad had told me he spotted him at Worley's one Tuesday night when I wasn't there. From then on, I never missed Worley's. I always held out hope that I'd see him again. Sadly, I never did. As a teenager, I always had a notebook and a pen on me. I would go places just to write in my journal, not paying attention to anything around me. This habit eventually led to me getting kicked out of our church's youth group, but that's another story for another day. Many of the nights, Dad and I would go to Whirly's. My younger sister would come along and we would run around and play, sometimes going a little too far off from the crowds. She remembers this particular individual I'm about to describe too. One night, I noticed an elderly man with very deep, caring eyes. I can still picture his face so clearly. He smiled and winked at me and I guess in my hormonal confusion, I felt a little bit of a thrill at the attention and maybe the second time, possibly the third time. But one night I felt someone brush my bottom, more than just what you'd expect from someone walking in close quarters behind you, more of an open hand slide across my butt. I remember I was wearing this ridiculous biking outfit I had bought at Walmart. It was silky and I was getting a lot of compliments from boys when I wore it. The feeling of that hand totally sliding across the silky fabric of my pants stands out so clearly in my memory. Another night, I was sitting there, writing in my notebook, and he walked by and nudged my pen. It made me mess up what I was writing and look up. He winked at me. There was this really sad look of longing in his eyes. I still felt like this was just some weird old guy, no one to be afraid of. There were so many weird old men at these places, as long as I stayed near to my dad. But when he showed up at the other auction, stoners on Sundays, I was a little shaken. I want to say a little time had passed. I remember I was all fancied up in my awkward glitter makeup and rebellious outfit. I was sitting there writing in my journal next to my little sister when I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. There he was, sitting right behind me. There was an expanse of open seats and it was very clear he didn't just happen to be sitting there. He had definitely come over just to talk to me. How can I get to know you better? He said in a controlled, barely audible voice. At this point, I was almost positive that I said, Well, I don't know what you want to know. I'm only 13 years old. Looking back, that makes sense, because after waiting a little while and saying it again, I ignored him and he left. Maybe my saying that aloud was enough to make him feel like others might take notice. It really scares me to think about my little sister sitting beside me hearing all of this. She had absolutely zero awareness of keeping herself safe from strangers and I told her not to go to the bathroom or anywhere without me that day. That might have been the day he told me his name, Wilmer. I saw Wilmer one more time. It was a Tuesday night. It was in the late summer and was so hot. The auction was very packed and my dad had to park the car way off the main area sort of up in a wooded spot on the property. It was not directly visible to the auction goers. So me, being an annoying brat after begging to go with him, I asked my dad if I could go up to the car. I wanted to listen to my Walkman and drink my Mountain Dew and write. It wasn't as hot where the car was. Dad gave me the keys. I must have asked him when he was in the middle of bidding on something because 
I still do not know why he would allow me to do this if he had thought about it for one second. I had kept him informed about Wilmer. I remember sitting in the 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra with the windows rolled all the way down. I hadn't seen Wilmer in the crowd, so I wasn't concerned about safety. Suddenly, I heard a knocking through the music on my headphones. I pulled them off quickly. Wilmer was standing right at the window on the driver's side, sticking his head in the window. Hot enough for ya, he said, not worried about controlling his voice as no one was near. I did what made the most sense, almost on autopilot. I got out of the car as fast as I could. I stood there and yelled, Hey, why do you keep following me everywhere? I'm sure my voice was loud enough that someone could have easily heard. He was immediately unnerved. What do you mean, following you? I've been coming to these auctions for years. He said, his voice suddenly back to that quiet monotone. I could not believe he had literally leaned his upper body into the car and despite being very naive, I knew this was completely inappropriate. I said in a louder voice, Listen, you're making me feel very uncomfortable, sir. I'm going to get my dad. I didn't move, but I had my dad's huge key ring in my hand. I briefly considered worst case scenario and stuck my middle finger into the ring. I could maybe hit him as hard as I could with the key in my fist. This man started running. Not walking at a brisk pace like most elderly men might do, I mean running, down the little embankment. I went to my dad and pulled him aside to tell him what had happened. He told me he'd take care of it and started looking through the crowd for Wilmer. He was gone. That night I cried and panicked all night long, terrified every time the phone rang or there was a noise outside the house. I figured if he wanted he could find where I lived. I stopped going to the auctions and my dad says he never saw Wilmer after that night. He wasn't lying either when he said he had been going to these auctions for years. It was odd that he stopped going to both of them so abruptly, but then again, not. At the time I lived in Aberdeen, Scotland, I was a 24-year-old Scottish guy who shared a flat with a 27-year-old Romanian girl. We were friendly but not friends and on her birthday, she asked me if I wanted to go out for a few drinks with her and her friends. She worked at this really cheap and depressing stripper's joint behind the bar so we could get free drinks. I already had plans, luckily, so I didn't go with her. I had been there with her before and it was grim. So anyway, we both go out on separate nights out. I come home a little shwasty about half to 2 or 3 a.m., grab some water, brush my teeth, and get to bed. I get woken up at about 4 or 5 a.m. by some doors in the flat opening and closing in what sounds like some drunken staggering, so I assume she's just a little out of it, no big deal. After a while, I can make out her talking quietly in the lower tones of a man responding. I am kind of surprised at this as she had never once brought someone back from a night out, but... Hey, it's her birthday and I'm not one to judge, just to make sure that they know they've woken me, however, and to try and make sure I don't have to hear anything more, I do a rather loud forced cough so that they will hopefully keep it down. I hear a door close and think good, so I go back to sleep. We both sleep in the next morning, but I am up first and start making breakfast in the kitchen. Eventually she comes through, looking terrible after having been sick in the toilet. She starts getting some water and I cheerily ask her, have a fun night last night? 
She kind of blearily responds, Yeah, it was okay. And I'm like, Nice try, I know you brought a guy back. <laughs> and she goes white. Startled, she says, That actually happened? Confused, and by her reaction I ask, What do you mean? She says, I thought that was a bad dream. Turns out, she didn't bring him back. He had followed her home. The lock at the entry to our block of flats was broken at the time. She had left the strip club after starting to feel really drunk and sick, and she hadn't locked the door to the flat itself as she came in because she thought that she was going to be sick. She rushed to the toilet. When she went back to her bedroom undressed and got in bed, she was almost asleep when she realized she wasn't alone in her room. She had managed to stammer the question, What do you want? Alarmed, he had loudly and hurriedly replied, I just want water. She said, I can get you some water, trying to keep calm in the hopes it wouldn't escalate then. Then my cough. My extra loud and hopefully masculine sounding cough startled him and the prospect of a man in the flat apparently scared him off as he then ran out of the room. That or the fact that she wasn't unconscious. She hurriedly locked the door and went back to bed and passed out. I made her report the incident to the police. They immediately sent two officers round. And they interviewed her and scoured through CCTV. This is apparently not the first time this happened in the area. And it appeared this man was working his way up to an attack of some kind. They said it was lucky I coughed and spooked him. They were also convinced that he had likely slipped something into her drink, but she didn't want to have her urine tested. I think she had been doing something else as well. They wanted to make sure that she hadn't just mistakenly invited him back, and she pointed out that there was no chance of this as he wasn't her type. When they reviewed the CCTV, he could clearly be seen following her home, but that couldn't figure out where he went when he left out the flat. So... To that creep that was inside my flat one night uninvited. Stay away. Around 2012 I lived in the industrial part of a city where there weren't many houses nearby. Just warehouses, trains, and some businesses scattered around. Even during the day it was rare to see people walking around unless it was to or from the bus stop. One night I was feeling off, like maybe my boyfriend and I had been arguing or my roommates were getting on my nerves. I decided that I needed to go for a walk. It was cold and late past midnight. I just really needed some fresh air and time alone. I was a 21-year-old girl who, at that point in life, wasn't very concerned about my own safety or well-being. I wouldn't say that I thought I was invincible and I've definitely did some careless and stupid stuff that I am lucky to have survived. This would qualify as one of them. I threw on my long trench coat, combat boots, a big fuzzy hat, and took off in a rush. There wasn't anything particularly scenic or pleasant around there, so I just went in the direction I knew best, toward the liquor store about a half mile away. As I approached the store, I reached in my pocket and didn't realize I had forgotten my wallet and my phone. The store was closed anyway, so I kept walking. Still in the light of the neon liquor signs, I heard a car approach me and press on the brakes. I slowly looked over my shoulder to see the tip of my boyfriend's 90 silver Buick LeSabre moving alongside me. Relieved, I looked to the driver's seat and see a man who is definitely not my boyfriend. He rolls down the window and says, 
get in the car. I was completely caught off guard. Shocked and confused and honestly kind of angry. What? No, was my response as I kept walking. He kept pace with me as I continued down the block. I kept looking over and finally said, Buzz off, man. But he didn't do anything. Just kept right beside me, staring at me with the window down. Suddenly he sped off and a wave of relief came over me. I really didn't know what to do next, so I cut around a corner and started walking on the opposite side of the street back toward my house, toward the oncoming lane in case he came back around, which he did. He would stop and then creep forward as I walked, all the while mumbling things to me. He definitely seemed to believe that I was going to get in the car with him, because he surely was not taking no for an answer. This time at least there was a whole lane between us, but I really had nowhere to go. If I decided to take off running to my house, there was only one way to get there, through the deserted industrial area following on down the road which led into a tunnel under the train tracks. He would be able to follow me right to my door easily with no witnesses. There was a 24-hour convenience store a mile in the other direction, but was that really my best option? I felt hopeless. Out of nowhere, I heard the chatting sound of people in an unmarked building beside me. Without a second thought, I frantically pushed the door in and entered a scene that I will never forget. It was a bunch of sweaty men smiling and speaking to each other in Italian as they cheered and finished their beers as they packed up their ping-pong paddles. They all stopped and looked at me as I shakily exclaimed, There's a man following me outside, and I'm really scared. It was silent for a second as they all eyed one another suspiciously, but one guy eventually offered me a ride home. I was so thankful to be in this stranger's fancy car for a whole minute and a half. I kept apologizing and thanking him. He was just kind of like, Uh, it's okay. Be safe. Sketchy looking girl who just busted into our weekly tournament. You weirdo, please don't rob me. When I got home, I immediately looked up the non-emergency police line but decided against calling because, like I said, the dude was in the exact same make, model, and color as my boyfriend's car it was likely to be in the same area shortly. Looking back, I probably should have made the call. When said boyfriend did get home, he was furious with me that I would put myself in that situation. Like, sure, that was a dumb move by me, but what about the guy who just lazily tried to kidnap me? Who does that? I met James through a friend, very briefly at a concert in which his band was performing. We barely spoke, but I gave him a hug when I was leaving because I'm a friendly person and he was close to my best friend Harry. Potentially a mistake. I should have just ignored him that night or at least left it at surface politeness. I no longer smile at strangers or act overly friendly with just anyone, and this is partly the reason why. A few days later, he messaged me. We talked for a bit and it was nice but then two weeks later, he told me that he was falling in love with me. Perhaps this should have been a red flag, but I try not to think too much of it. He was a sensitive bassist in an indie pop band. Of course he was a hopeless romantic. Not only that, he was very innocent and childlike. When I relayed what he had told me to Harry, he told me to be kind when letting James down. His father was a schizophrenic, his mother was an alcoholic, and James himself was on the spectrum, which also easily attached to people as a result of his difficult upbringing. I understood as I have borderline personality disorder, and 
I empathized with his quick attachment to me. Regardless, I told him that I wasn't ready to date. This wasn't a lie just to let him down easy. I was still grieving after the recent death of a boy that I was friends with and liked. I didn't tell him this, so the fact that he took my rejection so well was nice to see. Over the month, our conversations died down until we didn't speak anymore, and then a year and a half later he messaged me again. We fell back into the same way that we were, and he didn't drop any love confessions this time. Not yet, at least. A few weeks in of reuniting his friends, he asked me out on a date. I was comfortable with dating again, so I told him, why not? He was kind and sensitive, which was something that I thought I needed, as I usually go for the strong, assertive, rather arrogant type. The only problem was lining up our schedules. I was at university, already too busy with work in my final year, but he said that he would wait until my workload had lessened. While I didn't have any feelings for him, this warmed my heart to hear. Our sporadic conversations carried on, always so innocuous and nice. Until one day, out of the blue, he sent me a long paragraph, basically telling me that he understood if I had found someone new and thought that this new person was better and didn't want to go on a date with him anymore. Where had this come from? I hadn't told him about any new friends and I hadn't posted anything that would signify myself meeting another guy. I suddenly felt very uneasy. Laughing it off, I asked him why he had suddenly had these doubts. He told me that he was sorry, he was just overthinking things, and again, like when he had told me he loved me two weeks after meeting me, I tried to let go of it, but I remained wary. I very much dislike people who are clingy and suffocate me with their dependence. It makes me feel uncomfortable and overwhelmed. This is even more amplified when the person puts me on a pedestal like James did. He constantly complimented me and told me how I was too good for him, too good for anyone. Everything culminated a few days ago. Busier than I had ever been before with essays due and exams coming up, I was surprised when James texted me and told me that he'd be around in a week if I wanted to go for a date then. I said, unfortunately, no, I've got too much to do. He immediately assumed that this meant that I was no longer interested in him. I snappily asked him why he was acting so entitled and why did he assume that just because I want to focus on finishing this term with straight A's suddenly meant that I disliked him. He apologized very quickly but feeling angry I went to bed instead of replying to him. When I woke up I turned on my phone and was instantly ambushed by what felt like a million notifications. All texts, all from him, 26 of which was a novel, some excerpts. Move on. There are better people out there. I've been alone for so long, I'm cynical now. I hate this planet, and you need someone who is happy. I don't compare to your intellect, and one day you'll be bored of me. I feel like I know you even though we've only met once. No, you don't. You don't know anything about me because you've never tried to get to know me. You only know the image of me that you created in your head. There's something genuinely wrong with me, which is another reason why you should run away. I'm not a bad person, I'm just insane. Mental illness is not an excuse to do stuff like this. Every woman I had ever loved has turned me down and I thought I was cursed because my father told me our family was cursed by an African gypsy. So, potential incel and also kind of a xenophobe? I have no idea. He also pretended to be drunk while saying all of this and later confessed that this was a lie. He also posted a song that he said was about me. Even when I told him to leave me alone, he continued to disparage himself in an attempt to manipulate me. I'm probably going to die alone because of stuff like this. 
and I would ruin anyone with my self-destructive behavior. And this gem, I have already attempted to end myself and you can't hate me more than I hate myself. Perhaps it is because we live in a world in the aftermath of Elliot Roger and that one girl who sent 65,000 texts to her Tinder date and in one said she wanted to bathe in his blood, but I'm thankful that I avoided a date with this guy. Nonetheless, I regret to inform you that this story does not end here. I told Harry about what James had done. He was seething, but his anger was due to larger reasons. Some night during the period that I was in contact with James, Harry and I hooked up. It ended badly, mainly due to my poor mental state at the time. In February, I received an angry message from James confronting me about my treatment of Harry. Back then, I thought he was merely being a good friend. Oh, how I was wrong. When I detailed what had been going on to Harry and sent him screenshots of the texts, he needed time to process. What I hadn't known all that time was that James had confronted him about the situation with me and given him advice. James never told Harry that he was pursuing me and instead went behind his back, all the while being his shoulder to cry on. Even worse, Harry told me that in February, James had asked him what he would do if one of his friends was dating me and Harry confessed that it would destroy him. James promised that he would never try anything, but of course he did exactly that several months down the line. Finding out all of this made my skin crawl and I began to question some things. Did he only confront me about Harry to anger me and drive a wedge between us, or was it so that he could gain information from my side? Had he been orchestrating and planning things for months before we tried to rekindle our friendship? Harry said something that makes me believe that James tried to manipulate this months in advance. According to him, James relayed that I had said something, something very harsh and cruel that caused Harry to have a mental breakdown and led him to doubt every relationship in his life, something so bad that he couldn't even repeat it to me. I know for a fact that I had never said anything to James that I did not say to Harry, and while I said some unkind things to Harry, there was never anything that pushed him over the edge, meaning that James added this little tidbit of information himself. I have blocked James on everything, but I'm still afraid that he may snap and do something dangerous. For some background, I am a recovering sex addict, and before I got my head together I went through episodes where I would go through a large number of partners, and eventually that wasn't enough to satisfy my impulses, so I started involving myself in BDSM circles and activities, so naturally I joined a fetish social network. I was really surprised to see a message from somebody who was incredibly attractive asking a simple message about my username. As an early 20s girl, often the messages I would get would be from middle-aged guys looking to spice up their lives, and normally the messages were quite vulgar. We clicked almost instantly and he seemed quirky and interesting. We talked for about a week before arranging to meet up. Now, I'm from a small city, so it's not strange to have mutual friends with these random encounters that you meet around the place. It just so happened that this guy, we'll call him Rob, sits next to one of my best friends at work. I also work at this company, but in a different contract. I told my buddy Gary that I planned on meeting up with Rob, and Gary was a little hesitant, saying that he is a bit on the spectrum and doesn't do well in social situations. 
He said that if I were anyone else, he would be incredibly apprehensive as he wasn't sure how they would mesh in this situation. However, I am odd, so that wasn't important to me. Gary Fountain important to mention that this, as if you're meeting a stranger from the internet, it is handy to have some idea of what they're like in real life social situations before meeting up. Anyways, fast forward to my date with Rob and we're getting on well. He's a little erratic in his thought process and very full on say that I'm beautiful a lot and kissing me a lot, but other than that it's going well. I mentioned that I'm an addict and that if I go home with him, I probably won't feel the same way about him afterwards. After a few drinks, I decided to go home with him anyway. He lives with his family. We do it, and that's that. I lose all feelings for him. During the next few days, I inform him of this as he was constantly texting me, sending me selfies of him doing mundane stuff like smoking and sending me really long messages about dreams that he had had featuring me. I got a little suffocated and told him I needed some space as my feelings had depleted. He was understanding of this and kept telling me that he thought I was really nice and to be kind to myself. The next day that I was in work, his breaks coincided with mine and he continuously approached me for the whole day, just making pointless conversation. It was a little annoying, but by the end of the day, after he'd been texting me as the day had gone on and I'd been dreading seeing him and having to endure more awkward, do you often go into town after work or what do you normally do on your breaks conversations? I'm allergic. Later that day, Rob had been waiting outside in building when I finished work. Normally I walk home, but this day I was getting a taxi with a few of the guys that I work with. Rob came over to where we were standing and made more awkward small talk with me. It was so painful at this stage that I lied and told him I needed to go to the bathroom. So I walked into the building and made sure to spend as much time as I could in there, like peeing and getting coffee. At this stage, my phone said that the cab was three minutes away, so I decided to brave it by going back outside, hoping that Rob was gone by the stage. He wasn't. He was still there, lingering around my buddies, not making conversation. I was stressed at this stage and he'd notice, mentioning how he felt anxious and whatnot, but this was maybe the fifth time that I heard this, so I was noticeably fed up. He also asked again if it was okay to text me, to which I said, let's talk about it later as there was an audience of people next to us. I said I was going to wait by the road and he finally left. There was an issue with the taxi which caused it to be a little late. Now, I am going to add that I know that my reactions throughout this entire thing haven't been ideal. I have issues around confrontation and saying no. Needless to say, these issues led to enabling Rob a little bit and I understand that. Later that evening, I got more pointless texts from Rob, ones like, Hope you had a good catch-up with your crew. You're a good person. Sorry for being so awkward. How has your evening been going? Did I do something wrong? I hope I haven't pushed you away. You're a good person. Blah, blah, blah. None of which I responded to as I was otherwise preoccupied that weekend. The next day, he tried to call me twice, and the day after that, I woke up to another two missed calls from him. At this stage, again, apologetically, I told him that with my plans to move and with the issues I've been having personally, intimacy issues, I was in quite a precarious situation and that he was overbearing and it became a little overwhelming and that we shouldn't talk so much. He sent a long message explaining how he gets attached easily and that he understands totally. He then asked if I wanted him to stop approaching me at work and if I wanted him to stop texting me at work, to which I said yes and that space would be good. 
Over the next 13 days, I received six messages from him. The usual gobbledygook like, be kind to yourself. If you ever need to vent, I'll listen to you. I hope I'm not being a pest. I wanted to send you a message as a positive affirmation. Random drawings of venom that he did. Be kind to yourself. He said that a lot. I had enough at this stage and sent him a firm message. I will happily add the exact message in later if anyone's interested, but basically stating that I didn't want to pursue a relationship with him, romantic or otherwise. He replied saying that it really wasn't a good time for him as he was dealing with a major depressive episode at the moment, but that he would now be a ghost to me and as I only had a few weeks left in the company. But I actually has changed since then, I'm now staying, but he again said to be kind to myself. So I thought that was that. Until, I often post on Reddit about issues concerning my addiction and intimacy issues. My profile is very personal. As I'm also a very open person, I linked Rob something that I had posted. Not relevant, it was about a dream that I had. Meaning that he had access to my username from when we first started talking. About two weeks after I cut contact with him, I received a reply on something that I had posted to Ask Reddit, detailing how this person had major issues with addiction and that they couldn't handle it anymore. This is not entirely relevant to the question that I posted, so I immediately knew something was up. Initially, I thought this could have been someone that I know just messing with me, but after a few minutes it clicked. It was Rob. Rob had gained access to my account by going back through about a hundred messages and using the knowledge that he had from my previous posts, used my personal issues against me in order to somehow figure out the inner mechanism of my brain in order to infiltrate his way back into my life. Initially, I thought I was crazy. Without going into detail, it was confirmed that this was Rob. I was really taken aback about it. It seemed too bizarre to believe, but I didn't have any feelings about it that I knew of at that point. I spoke to my friends about it and they all thought the situation was really freaky. I told my group therapy about it and they said that Rob was a stalker and that I should tell the company that I work with about it in case he does something to someone else at work or to me. Following this advice, I spoke to my manager, her manager, and eventually HR, without giving any names but seeking advice. I was told that I could speak to an HR person or that I could use someone from HR almost as a messenger if I wanted, but... I'm not sure. In terms of how I'm feeling, it's been a roller coaster. Initially, I felt nothing. Felt like I was making a big deal out of nothing. Then I started getting severe anxiety surrounding this. I decided not to apply for a role that I otherwise would have as it was for his contract. I would have dreams about him doing awful stuff to me. I would constantly be looking around the building to see if he was there. One day walking home, I even kept an eye on if anyone was following me. This wore off a little, not sure if it's the result of me trying to avoid the situation or if I'm just not afraid of him anymore, but I still get glimpses of that anxiety. His breaks coincidentally started coinciding with mine recently. This could be a genuine coincidence, but I know from Gary that they decide their own breaks and mine are the same, always, which he knows. Rob has been asking Gary about me and started trying to get closer with him. He even asked a girl that I know, whom he also works with, about me. I barely even speak to this girl. Recently, someone started following me on my main account. Realistically, it could be anyone. I post a lot, but my brain instantly assumed that it's Rob. I even set the text under my account as, Go away, Rob. This is crazy. I'm not sure about a resolution as of yet. 
the official route seems scary to me. There is still a part of me that thinks that I'm making a big deal out of nothing. If he made one more move that was out of line, I think I would consider getting one of my friends to speak to him. Group says that his obsession will only grow, and if I'm in this company permanently now, I think I should definitely do something about it. I guess I'm just looking for some outsider perspective, as well as an opportunity to vent and clear my head. Four years ago, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. The quotes are actual words he said. I had told this story to a friend right after it happened when everything was still fresh. I was living in a new state and wanted to mingle with the singles, so I set up an account on OkCupid. I matched with this guy, we'll call him Justin, who also just moved to the area and we decided to get dinner at a local bar. Dinner was great. Justin was great. He was ridiculously tall, six foot six, and very country. He was a fresh breath of air from all of the hipsters in the town, and I was already making plans to see him again. We walked around downtown a bit after dinner, and he invited me back to his place for drinks. I agreed to let him drive me in his truck, as I had been drinking and didn't feel comfortable driving my own car. We get back to his place, and I decided to check out his basement. I had never seen one before, while he makes us some drinks upstairs. I was pretty naive, okay? We go upstairs to his room drinks in hand and we're sitting on the bed talking about his experience in the military. Justin is still being a super nice guy but he starts to get really pushy about me finishing my drink. As I bring the glass up to my mouth I notice some pink powder at the bottom of the glass. I pull it back to study it thinking the cup was dirty. He watches me look at it and says, oh oh I I've only used that cup for water, it's fine. I take a sip of the drink and it was extremely bitter like when you let a pill linger in your mouth a bit too long. My gut instinct was to pour it out but he kept insisting I drink so I kept taking tiny little baby sips so I wouldn't appear rude. Curious about his military experience I asked him if he killed anyone while he was deployed and his whole face lit up like it was Christmas. He said, yeah, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Then proceeds to tell me all about it. At this point, I started to get really uncomfortable and wanted to leave. I couldn't just leave though because I didn't have my car. He then tells me that even back home in Montana, he's done some things because things happen in the country and it's a place where the law doesn't always hold up. I started feeling a little spacey from the drink so I put it down and tell him I'm not really interested in it anymore. He asks me what my greatest fear is. I tell him and he responds with, Oh weird. Most women fear having a man force themselves upon them. I didn't know what to say, but he laughed it off and switched back to nice guy Justin. We were having normal conversation about life and I decided to lay down in his bed where I find a gun under his pillow. Cue scary Justin. He tells me that it's only for protection, but tells me that he'd love to be intimate with a woman at gunpoint someday. He grabs the gun and starts playing with it, and I'm convinced this is the day I'm about to die. Yes, it took all of this before I felt that way because his roommates were home when I got there so I felt safe. He proceeds to tell me that his absolute greatest fantasy is kidnapping a random woman, keeping her as a slave, and then ending her. I don't even question it because he's basically quivering at the thought of it. I feel helpless and terrified. I notice my phone is dying and I start thinking of an escape plan. 
I wasn't sure that my puny five foot four self would be able to successfully fight his muscular six six military experience. He lays down next to me, starts to touch me, and I go completely frozen in fear. I guess at some point his roommates left because we hear them walking through the front door and up the stairs. His whole demeanor goes cold. He stands up and says that he's taking me back to my car. I'd never felt more grateful in my life when I saw my car sitting in front of the bar. I drove around town for a while to make sure he wasn't following me and promptly blocked and deleted all of his contact info. In hindsight, I should have alerted the authorities, but I figured it wouldn't have gone anywhere with no evidence of wrongdoing. I'll be glad never to lay eyes on him again and can only hope that his greatest fantasy is never lived out. For a little context, I am currently a senior in college and live off campus with my two best friends. This time of year, particularly around Thanksgiving, my friends try to help me stay busy as it is typically a difficult time for me. My mother left our family the week of Thanksgiving when I was 8 years old and my dad passed away 5 years ago on November 22nd. So as I said, it's a pretty easy time of year to get myself down in the dumps if I don't stay active. Every year for the last three or four years, I have gone to one of my friend's houses to celebrate Thanksgiving with their families. But this past year, I decided I wanted to just stay home and have a mellow long weekend. I figured I could catch up on work as well as my schoolwork, which was pretty far behind. My roommates and I didn't live particularly close to the university. We lived in a suburb about 15 to 20 minutes outside of the school. This was nice because we didn't ever have to host any parties. We could just attend them near campus and head back home afterwards. Anyways, there was one house on our street that didn't quite match the others. It wasn't that the house was worse than the others, but it had no landscaping and desperately needed a fresh coat of paint. My roommates and I knew the owner as he introduced himself when we moved in a few years back. His name is Jacob. He's about five foot six and probably weighed a hundred pounds soaking wet. Every time we've had an interaction with him, he was always very nice and polite. He even helped us fix our porch light when it broke last summer. He seems to be very cordial with everyone in the neighborhood and has helped numerous people with small handy jobs similar to the one I just mentioned. On the Wednesday night leading up to Thanksgiving, my two roommates went back to their family's houses in their hometowns. They both asked several times if I was 100% sure I wanted to spend Thanksgiving alone and that I'd be fine by myself. I honestly thought I would be and thought perhaps enough time had passed that I could just focus on other things and not dwell on the past. I stocked up on Mountain Dew so I could stay awake after my assignments to play some PlayStation. At about 9 or 10 p.m., I went up to my room to throw on some sweatpants and grab the blanket from my bed. I glanced out my window and saw Jacob sitting on his front porch with the two porch lights on. I didn't think anything of it and went downstairs into the kitchen and made a peanut butter and fluff sandwich. I would say I was in the kitchen for probably about five minutes or so, finishing eating and doing a few dishes. When I finally sat down to play some games, I thought I heard something hit the front bay window, so I went to take a look. At first, I didn't see anything, but then noticed that Jacob had now turned the porch lights off and was standing on his front lawn staring at the house with his head tilted like he was looking towards the windows upstairs. A little creeped out, I tried calling one of my friends who knew I was still in town to see if she wanted to meet up or stop over to hang out for a little bit. 
She didn't answer, so I sat on the couch for a couple of moments trying to figure out what to do. He was still standing there staring and seemingly moving a few feet closer to our property each time I looked. I wasn't sure what to do. I couldn't call the cops. He hadn't done anything except freak me out a little and to this point he hadn't even stepped on my property. After another few minutes I looked out the window again and saw Jacob now on our lawn looking at the corner of the house. At least that's what it looked like he was staring at. At this point I wasn't sure what his intentions were and I didn't want to find out. Perhaps I was blowing this out of proportion but I was legitimately scared. I grabbed my keys and phone and a few other items thinking I would just drive to campus. Maybe the library was still open even though we were off for the holiday. I kept all the lights on so I didn't seem like I was leaving and decided I was going to sneak out the back door. As I quietly sneaked through the yard I turned the corner to quickly get to my car and there was Jacob standing in our driveway. I asked him what he was doing in the driveway and he put his finger over his mouth to make a shh noise. I slapped him as hard as I could and made a run for it past my car. My instincts and adrenaline told me to just run until I found someone or someplace else. As I got about a block or two down the road I saw a bunch of cop cars pull up towards the area of my house. Confused I began to go back towards my house thinking perhaps another neighbor saw Jacob stalking outside of my house and called the police. As I approached the house, one of the officers asked my name and if this was my residence. I confirmed the information and what I heard next is still the most horrifying and disturbing information I had ever received. The officer stated that Jacob reported that he was on his porch when he saw me from across the street. He saw me walk out of my upstairs bedroom and as I walked away out of the room, he saw a man come out of my closet. Apparently that was why Jacob was looking into my room when I saw him the first time and also why he was looking at the corner of the house. He was following the intruder who was now walking into my roommate's room. When I last saw him outside my house before I slapped him and ran in terror, Jacob stated that the random guy in my house had made it to the downstairs. Jacob was trying not to make any noise as not to alert the person inside fearful he could be violent or dangerous. As soon as he saw the man in the house, Jacob called the authorities and did his best to try and defuse the situation and not bring any alarm to myself or the intruder. The person inside the house was arrested and taken away. He didn't have anything on him other than a knife so it is unclear if he was attempting to rob the home or was planning something more sinister. Either way I couldn't express to Jacob how much gratitude I had for what he did. He even tried apologizing for how he handled the situation, stating that there were probably things he could have done differently to make sure I was safe and aware of the situation. Unfortunately, this experience adds another mental scar to this time of year that will take a long time to get over. But one thing I can be sure of is that I will never spend a Thanksgiving holiday alone again. I will try to do my best to explain this occurrence exactly how I remember it, including as much detail as possible. Currently I am in my 30s, but was still in college at the time of this experience. I went to college on the other side of the country of where I grew up. Being on a college student budget, I usually couldn't afford to fly home on Thanksgiving. But this year, I had some extra cash and really wanted to make it home to see my parents. When I landed back on the East Coast, I was greeted by my parents and brother. 
I was so overcome with emotion and elated to see them and be able to spend some time with them. We spent the day together and went to my favorite steakhouse on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. As you probably know, that Wednesday is a big party night out for people who return home to see their families. My brother was a little bummed I didn't want to go, but I was a bit jet-lagged and didn't feel like going out. Sleeping that night was more difficult than I thought. I felt exhausted, but kept tossing and turning, unable to get comfortable or fall asleep. While I was away for school, my parents sold our childhood home. They were in the process of buying a new one and were living in a small but rather nice apartment. The apartment sat on top of some local shops and, I believe, a restaurant. It really was a nice place, just too small for four adults. The next day, we had an awesome Thanksgiving meal together. We laughed and joked around, just like we used to when we were younger. After dinner, we cleaned up and put everything away and sat in the living room and told stories, continuing with the nostalgic theme of the day. However, the amazing atmosphere started to evaporate rather quickly when we heard the lady next door screaming and seemingly flipping out. The building my parents lived in had two apartments in it. You walked into the entrance on the ground level and used the staircase to get upstairs, and there was two apartments directly across from each other. My parents' apartment was on the left side and their neighbor obviously on the right. When a conversation got quiet, I asked my dad about the lady across the hall. He said she was always pleasant and very quiet for the most part, but apparently that was not the case tonight. She was screaming every cuss word you can imagine, just absolutely shrieking. We didn't hear another voice, so we figured she must have been on the phone. At first we tried to ignore it until we hear her say, I swear I will kill you. She said this in the most menacing and stern voice I had ever heard. After that line and a previous 20 minutes of vulgarity, my mom decided to call the police. It seemed like they didn't really want to, but were unsure of what to do about the situation. No one wanted to go over and knock on the door to talk to her. So this seemed like the only other conclusion. Shortly after my mom hung up the phone with the police, we heard the most gut-curdling scream. It sounded like the life had been sucked out of her body and was making her last gasp to survive. After that scream, we didn't hear anything. We sat in silence and looked at each other, all of us scared, uneasy. I had no clue what to do. My brother and my dad decided that they had to knock on her door to see if she was okay. My mother and I stood in our doorway as we watched them walk over, curious to see what would transpire. After a couple of seconds, a big guy answered the door, surprising as we hadn't heard another person's voice the entire time. This guy was bald, clean-shaven, and had somewhat of a beer belly. He said in a loud, aggressive voice, What do you want? My dad responded with, We just heard a lot of noise and wanted to make sure everything and everyone was okay. The man quickly retorted with, We're fine, and slammed the door in my dad's face. As they came back into the apartment, my parents said that they had never seen that man before and stated we needed to lock the doors until the police showed up. After about 10 to 15 minutes, the cops showed up and began knocking on the neighbor's door. We sat in the living room quietly trying to see if we could hear any of the conversations that were going to occur. Suddenly, we heard shouting and what seemed like a brief struggle or, I guess, sudden movement. Looking through the people, my dad told us that they were taking the guy out of the apartment in handcuffs. We eventually found out after several hours of investigators, firemen, and ambulances that the couple were severely intoxicated and had lots of paraphernalia in the house. 
Apparently, the larger guy attacked the woman who was now unconscious due to her injuries. Apparently, when the cops arrived, he was just watching TV like nothing had happened. My parents told me that they eventually heard their neighbor was okay for the most part and that she wouldn't suffer many long-standing injuries from this encounter. My parents were out of that apartment as quick as possible and now live in a spacious house that is much more accommodating for holidays. But at least once a year when we were all together, we bring up that night and discuss just how scary and traumatizing it really was. This is my first time posting this story anywhere. I hope you can learn from this experience and apply it if, God forbid, this were to ever happen to you. I work for a company that forces me to travel a lot. I usually fly, but because I know how crazy airports are on holidays, I thought it would be a smarter decision to rent a car and drive home overnight, avoiding the nightmare that would be an airport on Thanksgiving week. I started the drive home, and even though I was a little tired, I was able to cruise from about 11pm until 3am, as there were barely any cars on the road. Shortly after 3am, I saw a van that was sideways in the middle of the road on the highway. Thankfully, I had my brights on and was able to see the vehicle with plenty of time for a safe stop. There was also an elderly woman near the side of the road who was waving me down. Cautiously, I slowed down and came to a stop. The woman walked up to my window, motioning for me to roll it down. I rolled it down the slightest bit, making sure even her hand couldn't get in the car. In an old cracking voice, she said, Young man, can you please help me change my tire? I glanced over and saw that she did indeed have a flat tire. She said to me again, I ran over something and my tire became flat almost instantly, and motioned to what looked like a piece of plastic in the road. I reluctantly got out of the car and walked by the van and said she needed to move it to the side of the road for safety. I told her that there was no way we could change a tire in the middle of a highway in the middle of the night. She agreed and moved it out of the road into the side of the highway. As I began to change the tire, I had a million things running through my mind. Number one being, why did I have to be the one who got flagged down? I was almost finished taking the flat tire off when I noticed I didn't see the woman anymore as I was providing my own light source with my cell phone and looked up to ask if she could assist and she was gone. I looked all around the vehicle and didn't see anybody. Nothing but pitch black darkness other than my headlights which were providing some light in the general direction. Well, lucky for me, I had my keys in my pocket and locked my car door when I got out. I walked back over to my car and the woman was there trying to get into my vehicle. I told her to get away from my car before I called the police. She laughed at me and said it would be at least 30 minutes until anyone showed up to where we were. Just as I was trying to get this crazy person away from my car so I could leave, I noticed a man get out of the van. He must have been laying on the floor because I didn't see anybody sitting in the seats when I walked by to begin the process of changing her flat. The man seemed to be of average build. He started to approach me, his hand in his pocket which really started to make me worry about my safety. The woman then jumped on my back and attempted to choke me. I was able to shake her off quickly and elbow her directly in the throat. She began to cough and gasp incessantly which gave me the break I needed to get away. 
The guy who was approaching us devoted his attention to her, and I got in that car and sped away as fast as I could. I have never driven that fast in my entire life. The adrenaline from the events fueled me for the remainder of my trip home. I know if someone else told me this story I would ask how dumb can you be and emphasize how idiotic of a decision it was to get out of that car. I'm just glad that I was able to get out of that situation unharmed and get home to my family. After police reports were called, I unfortunately never got any further information. I wish I would have glanced at their plates that may have helped in identifying them later. And please let this be a lesson to everyone out there. Trust your instincts, especially in situations that can affect your safety. This story may seem more weird than truly scary to many of you. At the time, I didn't really find it scary or terrifying myself. I didn't really get that feeling until I shared this with others and got their perspective. I'd be interested to see what, if any, comments any of you have regarding this experience. This event happened with my ex-girlfriend on Thanksgiving about six years ago. For the sake of anonymity, we will call her Kay. I met Kay in college, and at first, she was great. We shared similar interests and hobbies. We clicked instantly and for the first time I was excited to meet the parents of my significant other. I was going to meet them on Thanksgiving so that everyone could have dinner together. Kay never really mentioned her family so I was excited and intrigued when she asked me to join her for the holiday. Fast forward a week or so and Thanksgiving finally comes. I make the two hour drive to her parents house and my first thought as I approach the house is, wow. This place is huge. It was a gigantic brown mansion. It was very large, but also looked very old. My best comparison is if you have ever seen the movie Clue. The outside of the house looked very similar to that, a mix between mansion and castle almost. I knocked on the door and almost immediately was greeted by a strange looking guy. He was short, like five foot flat. He was bald and wearing an eye patch. I said, Hey, uh, is Kay here? I'm her boyfriend. He just proceeded to look at me and didn't answer. After a few awkward seconds, Kay walked over and happily greeted me and let me inside. As we walked away, she said in her soft voice, Oh, don't mind him, that's just Eugene. He's, like, I guess, kind of my uncle. Kind of weird way to put it, I thought, but whatever, I didn't think too much of it. As we walked through the house, I was blown away. I'd never seen anything like it. The ceilings were really high and the walls were covered with religious iconography. I wasn't raised with religion so some of the images were foreign to me. Kay and I arrived and sat in what I assumed was the living room. There was no TV, no radio, just couches and some paintings all over the wall. The paintings seemed to cram together, trying to fit them all on the wall. An odd choice for such a nice home. After a couple of minutes, her parents walked in. Her dad was clean-shaven with wild flowing hair and glasses that were just big enough for his eyeballs, and her mom had long black hair that went all the way down to her back and reached her legs. It looked like they were in their mid-sixties if I had to guess. I was introduced and we made small talk. It really wasn't that bad, there was no awkward pauses, but her parents were not what I expected. They seemed a little strange or eccentric, I guess. While the four of us talked basically about school, Eugene came and stood in the doorway and began watching us. 
After a few more minutes of talking about school, her dad got up and said he had a surprise for us. He walked into the other room and brought out a lime green stereo boombox that looked like something straight out of the 90s. In his almost comical voice, he said, This one is for you two. I hope you like it. It used to be Kay's favorite. I looked at Kay and she was smiling. I can't even imagine what my face looked like. Confused, surprised, however that translates to a face. He pressed play on the stereo. Music began to play and her dad started to dance with her mom. The music, if that's what you would want to call it, was the weirdest thing I had ever heard in my entire life. It was just like banging of instruments. Very untuned instruments and other loud noises that honestly sounded like animals. Even more weird than the song that was playing were the movements of her parents. They just hopped around and were moving their bodies like they were puppets on strings or something. Thankfully, this only lasted a few minutes and we all sat down to dinner. Of course, the dining room was no different than the rest of the house. There were paintings and religious images all over the walls. We ate dinner in a combination of silence and her dad talking about politics and religion and how they were separate yet similar. I basically just stayed quiet and ate my food, which, looking back, was pretty unconventional for Thanksgiving dinner. After the meal, we went back into the living room, and that's when her father told us he had one last surprise for us. In his high-pitched voice, he shouted, It's now time for our annual Thanksgiving Day celebration. As I sat on the couch and tried to process what that could possibly mean, I noticed that more people were walking into the room. There was somebody dressed as a scarecrow, a teddy bear, a lumberjack, and one other that I think was supposed to be Jesus or some other religious figure. This is when I decided that I had had enough crazy for one night and had to get out of this place. I got up and announced to everyone that I had a family emergency and that I had to leave unexpectedly. I apologized and thanked them for everything thus far and said how happy I was to have met everyone. They all looked a little confused, especially Kay, but they shared their happiness in meeting me and their enjoyment of the night and wished me well on my drive home. As I drove away, I looked through my rearview mirror. I saw Kay and her parents waving goodbye to me from the doorway. Where to begin? This is the weirdest, strangest few hours of my life. I am obviously no longer with Kay and I honestly am not sure she even came back to school after that because I never saw her in person again. We texted for a few days after the event and she acted like everything was normal. I broke it off before holiday break was over, thinking it would be easier to do so before I saw her in person again. I swear part of me thinks I was on a hidden camera TV show that night or something. Does anyone from a rare religious sect know if any of this is a common tradition? Or was I just in a house with a bunch of crazy people on Thanksgiving? I just wanted to share this short but freaky experience I had with my family many years ago on Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, my cousins and I got together with our respective families. I was the oldest of the cousins, 11 at the time. This particular year, our families decided to go to my great aunt's house for dinner. It was a small little farmhouse pretty much in the middle of nowhere. No one liked going there, well at least us kids, because it was boring and there was nothing to do. My great-aunt had recently lost her husband and obviously was very upset. 
which is mostly the reason our families decided to go there this year. I met my great aunt maybe once or twice in my entire life to this point, so I found this whole trip very weird and really wasn't looking forward to it. Before dinner, all of us kids decided we wanted to play hide-and-seek. Our parents let us because we could be out of their way and, as previously mentioned, there was nothing else for us to do. My cousin and I went into the basement of the house to hide. There was so much junk and old antiques down there that we could have stayed hidden and out of sight for hours. I climbed to the top of a pile of old newspapers that was backed against a dimly lit wall. I figured if I laid flat at the top, there was no way anyone could find me. Well, after a few minutes, one of my cousins did find me, and when I tried to get down, my foot got caught on something, and I slipped and fell off the side and put a small hole in the wall. At first, we were freaked out because we thought we were going to get in a lot of trouble for doing damage to the house. While we were trying to think of a story to cover it up and get ourselves out of trouble, my brother found a small box on the other side of the wall where I had recently put the hole. We pulled the box out and stared at it for a while trying to see if we could open it. It had an entire layer of dust on it that didn't come off when we tried to blow on it. My cousin Sarah was fearless and she grabbed the box from us and opened it. At first we all felt like we won the lottery. It was filled with 20s, 50s and 100s. We were young but we knew this was a lot of money. As we looked through the money we eventually got to the bottom of the box and this is where the excitement vanished. There was a small knife that looked like it had dried blood on it and next to it was what looked like a skeletal finger or maybe even a toe. Of course we all screamed and ran upstairs crying to our parents. Our parents looked at us very confused as to what happened. We all tried to blurt out our version of the story until, as calm as can be, my great aunt giggled and said, Oh, that's just Bob's box from when he used to mess around with his army buddies. I haven't seen that since his friend Raymond passed away. Well, fast forward years later, this story came up again, and we all tried to figure out what all that meant and what we actually found. After consulting with our family, the story goes that our great uncle Bob was involved in all sorts of crime in the Chicago area. He made a lot of dirty money and eventually gave it up when he had a family. Our family didn't have an answer as to the contents of the box or whose missing finger that could possibly be. Every year for Thanksgiving, my wife and I travel to her parents' house to relax for a few days, watch football, eat tons of food, and go Black Friday shopping. Two years ago, I was unable to make this trip due to an incident that happened with one of our dogs. On Tuesday night of Thanksgiving week around 11pm, I let our golden retriever out to go to the bathroom before I went upstairs to bed for the night. When I came back outside to let her in, she was barking very violently, sounding like she was going after another animal. When she made it into the garbage, it was apparent what happened. She had been sprayed in the face by a skunk. Fast forward 24 hours and we are dealing with a house and a dog that reeks like skunk. Needless to say, I offered to stay home with the two dogs while my wife made the trip to her parents. We couldn't travel with the dog and we certainly needed to do some maintenance to try and get the smell out of the house. My wife left on Wednesday, the same day I took the dog to the groomers and began cleaning and airing out the house. 
After this experience, I felt it necessary to go outside with the dogs every time I left the mountain in the backyard, whether it was day or night, to make sure there were no further issues with a skunk. I hadn't noticed anything out of the ordinary until Wednesday night, when it seemed like our shed doors had been opened slightly. Since it was that time of the year where it got dark out very early in the day, I had grown accustomed to having a flashlight with me to check the backyard before I let the dogs out. Unfortunately, we didn't have a motion light or any sort of light for the backyard, so the only source of light was the flashlight. With the dogs still in the garage, I made my way to the shed to see why or what caused the door to be ajar. When I got into the shed, I thankfully didn't see any skunk or any other animal. I did, however, see a dirty towel, which I didn't remember leaving there, but I thought perhaps it was from when I was working on the lawnmower or snowblower. The next 20-ish hours went by without incident. I was spending Thanksgiving alone with my stinky dog in my stinky house, and we were getting ready to go to bed for the night. I did my normal routine of going outside with the flashlight, making sure the coast was clear before I let the dogs out of the garage. However, this time, as I was moving my flashlight across my large backyard, I flashed it towards the side of the shed to illuminate if there was anything behind it. Absolute panic set in as I saw a hooded figure behind the shed. I instinctively started to yell at the figure asking what they were doing. By the time I went back to the garage to let our dogs out to go after the intruder, he was gone and there was no one in my backyard. Freaked out, I contacted my wife to let her know what I had seen. She advised me to call the cops, but I decided I would just monitor the backyard for a while and ignore it if nothing further happened. About an hour later, I decided to take the flashlight and go to the window in my kitchen and shine it out into the backyard rather than go outside first. When I did this, the shine of the light caught the same hooded figure going into the shed and shutting the door behind them. At this point, I didn't know what to do. Let the dogs out, call the cops, confront the person myself. I honestly was frozen in shock. Trying to think quickly and not wanting the person to get away, I grabbed a screwdriver to jam into the openings in the handles to prevent the shed door from opening from the inside. After I did this, I immediately called the police. The person was slamming on the shed, trying anything they could to get out. When the police arrived, they took him away. Thankfully, from the conversation I had with them, he didn't have any weapons on him. I'm not sure what the intent of the person was. Were they just trying to scare me? Were they drunk from drinking all day from Thanksgiving and didn't know where they were? I still have many unanswered questions from that night, including if the person was in the shed the night before and that's why it was left ajar. Perhaps he was just a squatter. Either way, there was no further incident after this issue and thankfully my dog has also remained skunk-free since then. We now have motion lights installed in our backyard which will hopefully prevent anyone from trying to break in to our property again. I have worked in retail for many years and one of my least favorite days to work is Black Friday. Our store is packed to the brim, people are freaking out trying to get their items and it is very rare to get through the night without any incident. One particular Black Friday sticks out in my memory due to an experience that I had with a customer. I was working out on the floor assisting customers with any questions that they may have had regarding our products or our sales. 
I had this one customer approach me to complain about not getting a ticket towards one of our better TV offers. I apologized and tried to explain that the tickets had been given out on Thursday night and there was nothing I could do at this point. The customer smelled so bad I could barely get this information out to them without gagging. His clothes were stained and his appearance was ragged. After I explained the scenario to him one more time, a large smile came across his face and he said, I know it's not your fault, sweetie. I was beyond creeped and grossed out. I let him know that I had to go help other customers and I hope he had a good conclusion to his evening. A short time later I got a call up to register to try and assist with the long lines and wouldn't you know it, I was cashing out the same guy who had been complaining to me just 15 to 20 minutes prior. He began chatting with me, ignoring the fact that he had been irate with me minutes before. He asked my name, even though I had a name tag on, how long I had worked there, how old I was, etc. As I previously mentioned, this person smelled horrific and also began to seriously creep me out with their random questioning. He asked how late I had to work and I stated that all employees had to stay until midnight due to the fact that we were so busy. Looking back, I probably shouldn't have told him anything. He continued with more creepy questions and I finally got him out of my line and moved on to the next customer's. Fast forward to a few hours later and I'm finally getting ready to leave after an exhausting day. I walked out to the parking lot with my coworker Matt and said goodbye to him and that I would see him on Sunday. As I made my way to my car, I thought it was unusually quiet, especially for how busy it had been throughout the day, but it was past midnight so most stores were closed. As I was approaching my car, a set of headlights began to shine in my direction. Blinded by the light, I just proceeded to unlock my car and reach for the handle to get in and leave. The next thing I know, the headlights had made their way right in front of my car and someone was putting their car in park and getting out. To my utter shock and horror, it was the same slovenly customer who had creeped me out earlier in the night. At this point, I started fearing for my safety as this person clearly wasn't all there upstairs. He had parked in front of my car and left his car running blocking me from going anywhere. We got out of the car and I asked if I could help him and what he was doing blocking my car. He mentioned something along the lines that I needed to come with him and that we belong together. At this point I tried to make my way back to the store, but the guy pressed his body weight against me and pressed me against my own car. I couldn't move and was trapped. Fearing for my life I began to scream as he covered my mouth. His hands somehow smelled worse than his body odor. He began to try and move me towards his car, still trying to muffle my screams while dragging me with his other arm. Just when I thought I was going to be overpowered, a car horn began to honk incessantly. He let go of me and hopped in his car and sped off as quickly as he had arrived. The car that was honking then pulled up to me, and it was Matt. Thankfully on his way out, he had noticed that there was a car blocking mine in, and as he got closer, saw that there was someone grabbing me. He immediately got on the phone with the police and began honking as he came over to my side of the parking lot. Matt waited with me for the police to arrive so that we could each give a statement. The cops requested to get into the store so that we could check the camera footage in order to try to get a better view of the guy who had stalked me for the night. To my knowledge, they never caught him or at least he was never charged. I haven't heard anything from the incident but I am thankful that I had never seen that person again and I'm very thankful to Matt for saving me that night. I've always wondered what could have happened if he hadn't been there.
For a little bit of background related to this incident, I am a former athletic director of a small elementary school which also sponsors high school basketball teams. This particular event happened on Thanksgiving night three years ago. After I had a delicious meal on Thanksgiving with my family, my wife decided she wanted to go Black Friday shopping, so I decided to go to the gymnasium and start setting up for Friday morning. Every Thanksgiving weekend, our gym hosts a Thanksgiving basketball tournament for a handful of local high school teams. It was becoming a pretty well-recognized tradition in our community. Anyway, I spent about an hour or so setting up chairs, bleachers, prepping concessions, and getting the equipment in order. This was perfect because I could now sleep in a little tomorrow morning and not have to worry about rushing to the gym and set up. To try and give you a visual setup of the gym and its surroundings, it is a very small gym with one set of main doors that leads into a small elementary school. The school is very old and the hallways are lined with brick. If I'm being honest, it reminds me of an old prison. The lighting in the halls is dim, even in the daylight due to lack of windows in its construction. The school apparently used to be a home for nuns in the 1930s and I don't think it's structurally been updated very much since. In my opinion, it's a pretty creepy place. I've been in this place probably a hundred times myself and it still gives me an eerie feeling. Once I finished all my prep work for the tournament, I decided to shut the place down and go home for the night. I went into the far corner of the gym to the circuit breaker and shut off all the lights. At this point, the gym was lit by only moonlight and the glow of street lights shining in through the large gym windows. I walked into the small hallway that was basically pitch black at this point, using my cell phone flashlight to avoid running into a wall. As I walked down the long hall towards the exit, I started to hear a scratching noise. I stopped walking to try and locate the source of the noise because it was very loud and distinct. It sounded like it was coming from one of the classrooms up ahead. As I pointed my cell phone flashlight up the hall, I noticed that one of the classroom doors were open. This was odd because the policy was that all the doors were to be locked when the teachers left for the evening. Admittedly, I was a little spooked thinking possibly an animal had gotten into the classroom or something else. But the only way to leave was passing the door in the hall to get to the main entrance which was probably another 30 feet away. I continued down the hall, my eyes sharp to try and find the source of the noise that has now gone silent. As I passed that room, I saw something, and it definitely was not an animal. It was a green figure, a tall green silhouette of a man wearing a button-up shirt, parted hair, and long pants. And I mean tall, it was probably standing about six and a half feet. It was just standing there, hovering, staring out the door, staring at me. It didn't move or make any noise. Its face was impossible to make out, like staring into the abyss. In the brief moment that I stood there frozen in fear, I felt very cold, like a window had been opened. I don't know why I didn't just run. I think my brain was trying to process if this was a human intruder or if I was witnessing something I couldn't rationalize. I snapped back to reality and began to sprint down the hall, looking back once more as I ran out the main entrance, now seeing the figure in the hallway. I drove home as fast as I possibly could, not able to get the image of the figure out of my head. Of course, as you would expect every time, I relay this story to my family or friends, people either think it's a joke or that I'm trying to scare them. For the rest of that year, I never went to the property by myself after dark. I came and went out the back entrance that was not supposed to be used in order to avoid that hallway. 
After the season was over, I resigned and appointed someone else to my position. I can't tell you what I saw or experienced that night, but I hope nothing like that ever happens to me again. I work as an aide for an older woman and have been doing this for some time now. I run errands for this woman during the day usually, but at least once or twice a week we'll go into town and go thrift shopping and whatnot. I'd never been thrift shopping before starting this job and it's actually really fun. I found myself buying a lot of different things, novelty glassware, some cool speakers, and even some really nice brand name dress shirts. About two weeks ago I took my client to get her hair done at a local beauty shop. Since I'm a male, she doesn't really like me sticking around the shop because that's when the girls get to have their girl talk. So I found myself having basically a two hour break after dropping her off at the salon. I decided I'd do some thrift shopping for myself. I had about 15 bucks lying around so I figured, why not? I looked around at different shirts, DVDs, books, etc. but something caught my eye. Now I'm really big into music so this painting just caught my eye. It's a picture of an old man playing the violin. The painting was one of those things that you just have to have, so of course I bought it. It was priced at about only one dollar, so why not? I took the painting home and hung it on a wall in my living room. Every time I looked at this painting, it felt that it gave me some type of inspiration. After the first night of having this painting in my apartment, things started to get a little weird. I started smelling what seemed to be smoke. Now I smoke cigarettes, but this was a different kind of smoke. The type of smoke that if you were standing around a bonfire for a while, you'd smell like it. A few days later, after I'd gotten off work, I was playing my PlayStation in my living room when I heard something in the kitchen. I just thought, whatever, it might be the neighbors downstairs or their dogs running or something. About a half an hour goes by and I walked out to get a drink and... That's when I noticed my microwave was open. Weird, I thought. I haven't cooked anything in the microwave in a few days. I started hearing footsteps at night. My apartment isn't that big, which made me feel very uneasy. I ended up taking the picture out of my apartment, and I didn't want to throw it away, so I put it in the trunk of my car. Two days after putting the painting in the trunk of my car while going to work in the morning, a truck on the left side of the road swerved and came into my lane, and I had to lay on the horn and swerve for it not to hit me. I haven't taken the painting out of the car yet, but plan to hang it back on my wall today. I'll give an update if anything strange happens after I put it back up. But my question is, is this painting cursed? I'm 22 and I moved into this very nice apartment about four months ago. During the first three months there, there was nothing even remotely strange happening that I can recall. Not a noise in the night, or anything mysteriously falling or anything like that, which makes these occurrences even more weird for me for some reason. Also, I should add, I have never had any paranormal encounters or even slight interest in the paranormal until now. About two weeks ago was where everything started to get very bizarre. That's really the only word I can use to describe what's been happening to me. Two weeks ago I was just finishing up a movie and I remember the time being 1am on the dot. 
I turned out all the lights and went to the bathroom like I have every night since I moved in. When I flicked on the light, I saw a man flash before my eyes, who had what looked like a top hat on, but it wasn't quite a top hat. I don't know what to call it. He had some sort of black on his face and the rest was white. Not pale, completely white. His hands were too. He had what looked like an old trench coat type of deal on. I don't remember anything else really. When I flicked on the light, he was there for about 0.25 seconds and he looked very, very malevolent. And it wasn't just the fact that I had just seen a scary man in my bathroom at 1am. When I looked into his eyes, I really felt this evilness that I can't really describe, which is kind of why I'm posting this here in the first place, because I'm scared of it. I screamed at the top of my lungs, and I can honestly say I've never done that before, ever. I ran and flicked on my living room light and slept on the couch that night with a TV on. The next day I tried to make myself believe it was a hallucination, but it was extremely vivid. It wasn't like a ghost. It was straight up what looked like a physical body standing in my bathroom. The day after the sighting, I was working on my computer until I heard what sounded like one of my glass cups breaking in the kitchen. It scared the crap out of me. It was fairly loud. I went to go check it out. I was pretty fearful to do so because I knew it might have something to do with what I saw the day before. I got into the kitchen and I saw a framed photo laying face down with glass pieces around it. This was one of my favorite things that I own. My dear friend gave it to me a week before she left for Stockholm. It was just a picture of us in front of the Colosseum. We both loved everything about Italy. I know it's not much, but it's very special to me and holds a place in my heart. When I saw it on the ground, I honestly was not even scared. I was just incredibly sad. The picture itself is ripped down the middle, literally almost splitting the two of us in the picture. I was angry. I remember yelling at it because I knew it must have done it because I put the picture up the day I moved in. Over the next week, nothing happened except for one night. I was sleeping and I woke up. And I was terrified, honestly, because I haven't woken up in the middle of the night since I was pretty much a kid. I'm a great sleeper. I looked around my room. Nothing was there. About 15 seconds after, I heard what sounded like a sprint come from my living room and fade out into my kitchen. I didn't say a word. I laid in bed, trying not to move the blankets to make a noise. I can honestly say I was more scared than I was when I saw it in the bathroom. My heart must have been beating 160 beats a minute. I stayed up for the next hour and a half until I accidentally fell asleep. This was dumb of me. It could have been an actual robber or something. And I just stayed in bed, but I couldn't even tell you how terrified I was in that moment. Everything was intact in my apartment the next day. The night after, I slept on my couch, and I woke up to a noise which I couldn't explain to you if I had a gun to my head. It sounded absolutely nauseating. It sounded like it was coming from my bedroom, but I couldn't really tell. All of my lights were on, so I was definitely less scared, but... I sat up because I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep after that. When I sat up, I noticed that there was a minuscule amount of blood on my pants. I pulled my pants down to see where it was from, and there were scratch marks that had three streaks. I was bleeding, not a lot, but it was fresh. I was freaked out, obviously, because I definitely didn't have those marks the day before. I went to the kitchen to clean myself up, not even looking in the bathroom's direction on my way there.
Ever since then, every so often, I've been hearing that same sound I heard before. However I describe the noise, it's not going to do it justice of how truly unsettling it is, but it's almost like a little melody in a high-pitched raspy man's voice. I really can't afford to move right now, but this thing is obviously malicious. This is incredibly odd, so I don't expect straight-up assistance from the comments, but rather, I hope you can tell me what you would do in my situation. Alright, this is something my family doesn't talk about very much and I want opinions. This starts back when my mom was nine. My family took a lake trip with some extended family members. My mom and her cousin were in the lake with one of those inflatable tires, you know the type. They're swimming and her cousin starts to panic because she can't feel the bottom of the lake anymore. She starts pushing my mom in the water to get on top of the tire floaty. My grandma doesn't realize what's happening and my grandpa is taking a nap in the tent. My grandpa said mid-dream, he heard a sing-song voice say to him, Go get your girl, over and over. The voice begins to get louder and louder until she's shrieking my mom's name. He wakes up, runs to the lake and saves my mom and her cousin from drowning. Fast forward to when I'm 11. We live three houses down from my grandparents. My grandpa is asleep and he hears the same voice scream at him to go save my mom. We wake up to him banging on our door at 3 in the morning telling us to get out of the house. We oblige. Turns out that there was carbon monoxide, a leak in our house that would have been fatal for all of us if we stayed inside. He and my grandma have three other kids and he's only heard this voice about my mom. Even with the carbon monoxide leak, the voice only said my mom's name. I know how this sounds. My family doesn't really talk about it, but I want answers. Is it paranormal? Is it because my mom is his first child and they have a strong bond? Is it a coincidence? Is it because none of my aunts or uncles have been in life-threatening danger? Has anyone else had a similar experience? I am an American from the state of Pennsylvania. This happened when I was about 44 years old, so seven years ago. I was stalled in traffic on an overpass to a highway because there was a fatality on the road. We were waiting a long time, so I go out and looked over the bridge. I heard someone say to me over my shoulder, I also died in a car accident. I turned to see who was oddly talking to me, but there was no one there. I thought I might have heard someone's car radio and went to my car. I couldn't shake the experience and went to my room and was playing soft music and I said aloud, Okay, person who told me they died in a car accident, I'm listening. Nothing. I felt completely stupid anyways asking aloud. Just before I fell asleep I heard a man say, My name is Phil Phillips. I died in a car accident in Wales on the Stone Bridge. I was drunk. My mom misses me. It was a stupid mistake. After I died, I was lost. I went up over a sheep field. I saw him quite briefly with messy dark hair and eyes. He had a skateboard and a long-sleeved jersey with something on the front and he turned and disappeared. 
The interesting thing was I asked him how I could confirm who he was and he said, 18. The next day I thought about it most of the day. I taught night school at the time but I had my laptop with me and I looked up his full name and the obituaries in the UK. There was an article about him there with his picture. It was the young man I saw. He died a few years before that time. He had a girlfriend and a baby. He had died in a car accident. There was a sheep field directly next to the stone bridge. I google mapped the accident site from the news report of his death. His mother was interviewed in the article. She said how much she missed him, of course. There were two Phil Phillips at the time who had obituaries from that region, however, the correct Phil Phillips to my story had died when he was 18. He was not from Wales, but was on a family holiday. I always thought to contact his mother, but thought it might come off as terrifying or macabre. I never did, but I hope she has been comforted by his memory. I would never want to upset her. Incidentally, this has never happened to me before or since. My husband and I are mild to moderate gamers. We play Dungeons and Dragons about once per month with a group of other old nerds and academic fellows and play board games like Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride with kids about once per week. One of our close friends recently stopped gaming because his wife said it was bringing evil spirits into the house or some crap like that. I don't subscribe to this at all and as a scientist I don't believe it. Anyhow, he gave us all of his gaming stuff including dice and books and all things like that and one of the dice really stood out to me. It is a green 20-sided die about the size of my fist. I thought it was cool so I chose to use it as my main 20 in a gaming session last week. During the session, I noticed it rolled 6 18s in a row. Statistically speaking, very unlikely, but on the bell curve of statistics it's also unlikely to get a royal flush and yet people still do so I'm still not creeped out. After the game was over and everyone left, I set the 20 sided in the middle of the table. It's very big, so I thought it would be cool to leave out and play with later on. I don't know, I'm kind of weird that way. I like that it was rolling big numbers and wanted to see if it just weighed wrong or something like that. I distinctly remember physically leaving one face up. I went into the kitchen to get a drink and I heard the die roll. There was nobody downstairs in the dining room and when I went and looked at the die, it had rolled on 18. This is when I started getting freaked out. I do have a scientific mind and just assumed someone was messing with me, but everybody was upstairs and didn't believe me when I told them what happened. I reset the die to 1 and waited. Nothing happened. We all went to bed and the next day I got up and looked at the die and it still said 1. I left for work and no one was home. When I got back, there was still nobody home and the die was on the ground. Rolled 18. We have security cameras and no one had come in or out. Deep down, I don't believe in the paranormal. But this die is freaking me out. It appears to have rolled by itself at least one other time and this time my daughter was witness to it. She screamed when it happened as did I a little bit because... We were both sitting at the table and it rolled while we were both there in front of us. I put the die away and haven't pulled it out since. What do you think is going on? <laughs> 
My grandfather once told my mother about an encounter he had with what he claims to have been the devil many, many years ago. My mother would then go on to pass the story down to me when I was much younger, perhaps feeling that by then I might have been old enough to finally learn about what my grandfather had experienced. So before I start to recount my grandfather's tale, I want to state that I personally am not sure whether I believe this to be true or not. Nevertheless, my grandpa has stated many times before that what he had witnessed that night was 100% real and that he didn't make it up, so take from it what you will. To give you some perspective on how long ago this was, my mother is currently 44 years old. On the night this story takes place, my mother must have been about 23 at the time and my grandfather much younger than he is now. One night, my grandpa had gotten into a heated argument with my grandma and, in result, he decided to get out of the house and blow off some steam. He found himself driving down to the local bar a few blocks away that he sometimes visited and proceeded to spend the next two hours drinking away his problems. Once he felt that he had had enough, my grandfather decided to head back home. Slowly making his way back to his truck, my grandfather was fully aware that driving under these conditions could only lead to disastrous results, and even though by then he was only slightly buzzed, he decided to sit in his truck for a while in order to let the alcohol pass through his system. At some point, my grandfather must have fallen asleep, for when he woke up, it was almost 11pm. Readying himself to return home, my grandfather turned on the ignition, but just as he was about to pull out of the parking lot, he stopped when he noticed a young woman walking towards his vehicle. The young woman, as he would later describe, looked to be in her mid-twenties. She had dark brown hair, brown eyes, was wearing navy-colored jeans and a white blouse with a black jacket over. She had a worried expression on her face and looked to be in need of help. As she walked around the driver's side window, my grandfather rolled down the window about two inches in order to hear what she had to say. From what I understand, the woman claimed to have no way of getting home and proceeded to ask my grandfather if he could give her a ride. At first he was reluctant, but then agreed to take her home as he too had a young daughter around the same age, and even though he would prefer she call him before asking a total stranger, he hated the thought of her having no choice than to walk all the way home this late at night. The young woman kindly thanked my grandfather. But before he could motion for her to get in the passenger seat, she spoke again. Take that off, she said as she pointed down at my grandfather's chest where there lay his golden necklace of Jesus on the cross. Utterly confused by this request, my grandfather asked why she wanted him to take it off, to which she simply repeated herself with a slightly louder tone and said, Take that off. I grew up Catholic in a house where religion was very important as did my mother and as did my grandfather. Being so religious, my grandfather did not want to rid himself of the holy symbol he carried around his neck. The fact that my grandfather was reluctant to carry out her request seemed to infuriate her. She continued to harass my grandfather, demanding he get rid of his necklace for some unknown reason. He tried to reason with her, but to no avail. The young woman then walked over to the passenger side door and tried to open it, it's then that my grandfather got a clearer look at her face. Her facial expression had changed to what he could only describe as that of pure evil. Her eyes also seemed to have become a lot darker and the air around him had begun to feel heavy. Completely terrified by this point, 
my grandfather quickly pulled out of the bar's parking lot and sped off down the street, determined to get as far away from there as possible. If you were to ask my grandfather what he thought he had encountered in that parking lot that night, he would most likely tell you that it was the devil himself in disguise, or perhaps one of his demons carrying out his will upon the mortal souls of this world, whatever it may be. Like I said before, take from this what you will. Whether you believe this to be true or not is completely up to you. From the ages of six, myself and my brother, A, a year younger, have had what I considered possibly paranormal experiences over the years, though few and far enough between that they didn't really weigh on us. The same came to happen with two younger brothers when they eventually came along a few years later, and one more experience that can't be explained that was witnessed by myself, my mom and stepdad, and the family dog. The reason I doubt the validity of some of these experiences is that, one, they'd happened when I was a child, and two, my childhood environment wasn't exactly stable nor healthy. I've been led to believe that certain environments and mentalities and dispositions can draw in certain energies, i.e. experiences and entities. But then I'm also aware that the same circumstances could cause a child to manifest their trauma through their imagination or even misinterpret their reactions to their circumstances as reactions to something paranormal. Please note I'm mainly speculating about myself here, and this in no way blankets anyone else's experiences. My brother A and I were terrified of a closet we had in our family home in the room we shared. I don't actually remember what caused this fear as we used to hide and play in there all the time, but eventually we used to associate the closet with some kind of foreboding. We'd be afraid to be alone in that room and we'd push things in front of the closet at night to prevent it from opening. One door bolted into the wooden frame holding it in place and the other latched into that door but this door would sometimes swing open. We used to lie awake in the mornings in bed, waiting for the other to build up enough courage to bolt out of the room first. I remember my brother used to say there was a two-horned monster in the closet and it was described as black with horns and red eyes. Generic, I know, but I never saw anything myself. This stuck with us for about a year. At age eight, I got my own room, and I remember getting a light box that Christmas that I used to draw on in the dark until late, as the house was usually in darkness around 9 or 10 p.m. with everyone in bed. This one night, I sat on my bed as usual, doodling away when I began to feel on edge, I looked up to see a shadow illuminated on my wall, as if someone was standing straight with the light shining in front of them, casting their shadow behind them. The only light in my room at the time was coming from my light box. I froze up on seeing this. The shadow began to move on the wall and split into two, as if circling my bed. My bedroom was small, with my single bed pressed to the wall. The window at the head of my bed the bedroom door about a foot from the bottom of my bed and some drawers against the other wall opposite my bed, leaving maybe two or three feet space on the floor, with the wall jutting out just after my drawers on that side of the room. I pulled my knees close to my chest, keeping myself firmly in the middle of the bed, away from the wall but not too close to the edge. The shadows seemed to drag across the wall, and while they were in the silhouette of an adult person, the shadows were still vague. They didn't seem to extend from the light of the box, 
more seeming to stem from the ground and the shadow becoming darker at the core of the shapes. These shadows were darker than some of the shadows cast in my room and distinctly passed over them. They circled once slowly then began to speed up, causing me to panic and hyperventilate. My light box began to dim more and I remember starting to cry before it eventually died. Next I remember is waking up that morning in the middle of my bed having kicked my light box off in my sleep. After waking up a bit and recalling the night before, I remember this heaviness on my stomach, but nothing like that happened since, although it stayed with me and I developed this kind of anxiety when there were shadows in the home. Not much else significant really happened than I can recall until the age of 10 when my other brothers came along. If interested, I will share more about them later. Any thoughts on these? I find it hard looking back and distinguishing between manifestations of a terrible childhood or real experiences or possibly a combination of the two. I've been carrying this with me for quite some time now and I don't know where else to post this. It's been a couple of months since this happened. I live in a quiet village in the south of Germany. Next to our village is a rather large forest with lots of hiking and biking tracks leading through it. When I was little, either my aunt or my dad took me there for walks almost every second day. It became a habit for me to keep on going for walks through the forest later on in my life as well, but that changed a couple of months ago. I usually went on walks with music on during daytime, but... One night, during a full moon and clear sky, I felt a little brave and bored at the time, and decided to go for a stroll. I grabbed a flashlight, just in case, and my phone before I headed out. Halfway through my usual route, I was feeling happy and enjoyed my music, till I came across a little bridge that led to the forest. One of my songs faded out, but before the next one could play, I heard the most blood-curdling scream I've ever heard in my entire life. I took off my headphones thinking that maybe a boar or another forest critter stepped into a trap since it happens from time to time here but once I took a step closer half over the bridge I heard it again and this time closer. I turned on my flashlight and saw among the trees next to the entry path a snow white skinny pitch black eyed face looking straight at me. I've never felt this horrified in my entire life. My insides told me if I take another step, I'll be dead. I didn't care for what was to happen as I turned around and ran the other way straight home with a constant feeling of dread in my neck. Ever since I've been home alone, I've been feeling watched and uneasy. On several occasions, I even heard footsteps outside on our porch and garden chairs pushed around. I have no clue what I've seen or what to do about it. If any of you has an explanation on what this thing could be, or why it's still stalking me, please let me know. In August of 2016, my family and I went on vacation to Cozumel, Mexico. While I was there, I experienced something extremely strange. I never really thought much about it afterwards, but... While camping with my boyfriend, I retold the story to him and expressed my want to know what it is. Anyways, he told me I should totally post it here and see if anyone here knew what happened, 
So here I am, and here's my super weird experience. So as I was saying, for three nights straight I experienced some sort of creature. I'd wake up at about 3ish a.m. each night to a new experience. On the first night, I awoke a little past 3 in the morning with an overwhelming sense of dread in the pit of my stomach. Somehow I just knew I needed to turn my head to the corner shelf above the bed, and the place of a baby doll that had been sitting there since I arrived was this figure curled up in a fetal position. Its skin was pale and blotchy. It looked dried out, but the thing was covered in a thin layer of some kind of slime. Anyways, it was just sitting there, writhing, making absolutely no sound, and the only thing I could think of was that I needed to haul it out of there and get to my mom's room, so I did. After about an hour or so of sitting in the foot of my mom's bed, I finally worked up the nerve to go back into the room I was staying in. The creature was gone and the baby doll sat on the shelf in the same position it had been in since I got there. The next night I woke up around the same time with that god-awful feeling in my stomach but this time it was on the floor. It was still in the fetal position but it was much bigger and shaking more violently than the previous night. Once again it didn't make any sound that I can recall. I ran out of my room to find my younger cousin sitting in the hallway crying, just standing there. He was mumbling to himself and it became clear to me that he was sleepwalking. I wanted to wake him up and take him back to bed, but I was just stuck in place because in the back of my mind, I knew I shouldn't touch him for some reason. So I got his mom, and she took him to bed, and everything was fine after that. On the last night it happened, I woke up again with the same bad feeling only when I looked at the creature. It was massive. Floor to ceiling, hunched over like it was too tall to fit, and it just stood there watching me right by the door. I ran right past it into my mom's room as fast as I possibly could. The next morning when we were eating breakfast, my mom pointed out a burn or something on my thigh that hadn't been there when I went to bed that night. I hadn't been around anything that could have burned me, and I would have noticed if something had because it was particularly nasty. It didn't hurt or anything, it was just really gross. It healed fine and only left a faint scar, but... I still have no idea what it was or how it happened. After that, I have never saw that thing again, and never had any weird experiences like that. I was wondering if any of you might have answers for me because I have no idea what that thing was, or if it was just some weird, trippy dreams. The house I lived in until I was seven feels like home for me, but some weird stuff happened there. I don't trust the things that I saw in particular because I was so young and there's always the possibility of my opinion having been influenced by a book I read or something, so I'll leave my particular part out of it. I'll just explain the testimonies of my adult family members for starters. My mother would frequently see a little girl with long hair who was paler, both skin and hair, and wore a white, light pink sleeping gown with ruffles at the bottom. It would run from my room, laugh, and hide behind the TV. A few years later, my mother is estimating, about three years later, my grandmother bought me the exact gown, and by then my hair was the same length as the girl that my mother saw. One day I ran from my room in the gown and hid behind the TV, laughing, replicating the incident that my mother saw years before. The girl that she saw looked like an older version of me, my copy. 
My mother and family had not told me anything about this until she thought I was mature enough to know. My father also had an experience like this. My father kept urging my mother to take a shower before leaving the house for an event and my mother told him that she had to help me get my clothes on so she couldn't get in the shower yet. I was a toddler. She finally did get in the shower but in the middle of the shower she heard my father open the door and ask if she was in the shower. She said yes, of course, and when she got out he explained that he had seen her dart across the living room and he was annoyed because he thought she still hadn't gotten in the shower. After that, he went towards the bathroom and heard the shower running, which caused his panic since he had just seen my mother walking in the opposite direction and then went to the shower to find that my mother was already there. He described the version of my mother who darted across the living room as having a long gown on as well as being pale. My mother once evacuated me to the backyard because she thought she heard voices on the other side of the house. They were so loud, she thought that she had left the radio on at first. She went back in to check the house afterwards and there was no one there. She went back inside and listened to the voices more to realize that one of the voices was hers and the other belonged to my father. They were talking about the state of the house, like when the real estate agent was showing them the house and saying things like, yeah, we could put the dresser over here and I like this house, it actually has a room in the spare bedroom. That kind of stuff. It was a conversation that they had had in the past. A year later, my aunt confirmed the event because she had heard the exact type of conversation between my parents in the basement. She said that the conversation went exactly the same. They were talking about how they liked the house as if they were considering buying it. We had already lived in the house for years. A little bit later after that, my uncle, the aforementioned aunt's husband, admitted that he saw the same thing that my mother saw at the beginning, me running across the living room in the gown. So there we have it. Ultimately, I am asking for explanations of what you guys feel was going on. I'm open to literally anything you've got because it's crazy enough it happened anyway. It's kind of hard to reason through for me because they were like ghosts, but of living people. It was like different moments of time, which all took place in that house, were being played over in the house in front of my family members over months. There was one other occurrence that happened there, but... I feel that it isn't really relevant to the rest of the events I described. However, that is for you to reason through or decide. There are a lot of windows in my mother's room and my mother saw faces that were terrified, arranged by the dust in the windows. They weren't like actual faces, but it was arrangements of dust in the window that looked like faces in terror. She said it could draw you in because of how realistic it was. She said it was extremely artistic and not like something that someone without artistic drawing or talents could arrange. She said that one face would look like it was part of another face. My father looked at the same windows and just saw dusty windows. He kept telling her to clean the windows because they bothered her so much, but she was also too mortified by them. My aunt's husband, the same guy from earlier, finally decided a little bit later that he wouldn't come to her house anymore because... He saw faces in the windows. My mother hadn't told my aunt or her husband about the windows at all, so it made my mother feel better that it wasn't just her that saw it. Interestingly, both my mother and uncle saw the copy of me in the gown and the faces in the window, yet no one else like my father or aunt saw it, yet they experienced other paranormal things in the house as mentioned earlier. 
I know that the last occurrence was somewhat out of place with everything that happened, so you can address what you think about the other events instead. However, if this last occurrence makes sense to you, then by all means, let me know. My father died in 2008 when I had just completed my high schooling and we were in enormous debt. I still live in poverty, but that story can be told another day in another sub. So to continue my studies, I needed to find work and for three years, I sold pakotas on the street and taught little children maths. In 2012, I was recruited into an ISP in our small town to work in the night shift. During the interview, I was particularly asked if I felt scared to stay alone at night in the third story of the enormous building with one security guard in the ground floor. I was never comfortable, but I needed the job. Plus, being it was night shift, I could attend my college during the day. I worked in that office between February 2012 to August 2013, and during that time, I never got curious to ask anyone why no one wanted to work nights. I heard before me someone used to work at night, but he left abruptly. My work was to pick calls from clients who would have problems with their internet connection and provide simple solutions. Anything complex, and I had to note down the names and address and pass the list to my senior via email and technicians would take care of them during the next day. It was a simple job, and I would not receive many calls, and so by 11, I would spread a thick blanket on the floor and fall asleep with the receivers beside my head in case someone phoned. June 2013 was the month I was supposed to find out why no one was ready to work at night. That night, the security guard with whom I had developed a very close friendship came to the third floor and asked if he could sleep in my room as there were too many mosquitoes on the ground floor. Understandably, he was supposed to stay awake, but he used to take advantage of my attitude and sleep every night and the whole building had no security camera. Anyway, we were both sleeping in the same room. The two receivers were on either sides of my head and the lights were turned off. I had locked the door loosely, keeping the lights of the corridor on. At about 3am, I woke up to a sound as if someone was walking with his feet dragging on the floor. It was an inconvenient sound and very loud. I was facing the door and could see the light on the other side of the door through the thin gap between the floor and the door. I stayed down, staring directly at that gap, trying to understand what or who it was. As I waited, the sound got louder and louder and soon I saw feet of someone crossing the door. My heartbeat got faster, but I thought that it must have been the security guard, but when I looked behind me, he was fast asleep. My blood froze at this, and the sound started to get louder again, and soon the feet appeared near my door. This time, instead of just crossing my door, it stopped there and didn't move. I waited for whoever it was to move away, but he would not. Then I did the stupidest thing. I thought it could be an intruder and instead of waking up the security guard quickly, I tiptoed to the door while the thing still stood there and pulled it open suddenly. There was no one, but a gust of wind hit my face, causing me to get goosebumps all over. I woke up the guard now and explained to him everything. He took out his torch, turned all the lights on, and searched the whole building but could find no one. Finally, he came to me and said that it could be a demon. I couldn't sleep again. I dropped messages to those who worked during the day explaining everything. 
I reached the office the next day a little early to catch the others. This is when the stories started to emerge. One explained that he did the night shift a few days and could always hear someone climbing up and down the stairs in the middle of the night. Another said that he saw a chair being moved around from one corner of the terrace to another by something that wasn't visible. That was why no one would like to work at night and I stayed there for more than a year. I left the company in August after they gave me an increment of $3 after working for more than a year. They used to pay me $54 per month. Yes, the salary is a scarier story than the demon, but I needed to grasp anything I could find to complete my bachelor's degree. I used to attend college in the morning, teach from afternoon to twilight, and then go to office. The cost of education and staying alive plunged me into further debt from which I am yet to recover completely. But God has been faithful all the time. They have installed cameras in the office these days and I sometimes wonder if they've been able to capture anything. About eight years ago, me and five other friends used to play the Ouija board in the local graveyard on a pretty regular basis. The last night we played, for reasons I'm about to explain, things went bad. This was the first night we used blood, our own blood. Four out of five of us cut our fingers and wiped blood on the board. We also used red candles. That night we encountered a demon. Eight years later and we are now almost dead. In our twenties, our luck is the worst. Lights flicker around us. We all feel a dark presence shadowing us. I believe it's slowly killing us. Here's what happened that night. The spirit that we contacted that night was very different from the others. It spoke to us clearly. After saying hello and chatting for a bit, it told me by name to go and stand in a triangle of trees. As I walked over there, it starts counting down on the board. Apparently, as soon as it hit zero on the board, I yelled, I'm here, which freaked everyone out. They continue to talk. It tells another one of us to go somewhere, but my friend decides to tell it no. Around that time, he looks up, off into the distance, and goes pale. He starts cussing and exclaims that there's a demon in the woods. We all see a shadowy figure where he is pointing. We all run. First mistake. We never said goodbye. As we are running, one friend is carrying the board. Noticing that the candles aren't falling off or going out, he throws the board. Candles never fell off or went out. We all jump the fence and one of my friends collapses. He's yelling in pain and lifts up his shirt. His stomach is purple, like his insides burst and his stomach was filled with blood. We pick him up and carry him. As we pass under street lamps that flicker and stop when we pass them, after about a mile, the lights stop flickering and my friend starts getting better. He lifts up his shirt and the purple is gone. It looks normal again and we walk home. When we get to his house, we are chilling and smoking cigarettes on his front porch, talking about what happened. All of a sudden, the friend that was attacked, his phone rings. It was his own number. As he answered the phone, the lights at my house across the street started flickering really, really fast there was only static on the other line. When he hung up the phone, my lights across the street stopped flickering. We didn't talk about it much after that. We also never played the Ouija board again. Now eight years later, things are getting bad. I contacted all of them to see if they are having similar experiences. We are all almost dead. 
We've all had the worst luck. We've all had paranormal activity increasing the past week. Its presence is very strong. I believe it has been slowly killing us. We need help. How do we get rid of it? Asking for advice. Preferably, experienced people. I swear in my life this is true. I live in a pretty small town. Not like everyone knows everyone small, but small. When I was in high school, I was in JROTC, and in the winter, we would lay wreaths on veterans' headstones. One time we went out, and it wasn't snowing, but it was very cold and muddy, and the cemetery split down the middle by a 35 miles per hour road, so half of us went on one side, half on the other. I was in a leadership position, so I was in charge of the group I took across the road. I divided people into groups of two by people they didn't like, so they get the job done ASAP and do it right so the other persons didn't have anything to report them for. The two worst kids in the program came with me so I could keep them out of trouble and in line. So we work our way back and lay the wreaths. Everyone meets up and heads back toward the road. Mind you, this is a very large cemetery lined by woods on three sides and the road on the fourth. On our way toward the road, I remember this next part, but not quite. I remember it like walking through thick fog, despite remembering everything else very clearly. I stopped dead in my tracks, still looking forward, looked to my left, turned that way, and went and sat in front of a headstone shaped as a small bed. I sat crisscross on the ground in the mud, ruining my uniform, pants, and bottom of my coat. I then said, What happened to you? and placed my hand on the foot of the bed and began sobbing. I cried for a short time, got up, and walked back to the group who was just staring at me not knowing what to do. I have no relation to this person, but I remember feeling a very intense and overwhelming sense of sadness and brokenness when I touched the bed. And just the other day, a friend of mine told me a very similar situation that happened with her in the same cemetery with the same headstone. 